Jesus. Ah, hallelujah, hallelujah, and praise God, most high, who always favors us and who always counts us worthy, worthy of receiving his oracles, his words in time and in season. I sighed very deeply because of the weight of the message that just hit me right now. And I just asked God, wow, <laughs> where does one start from? Where does one start from? Where does one start from? The Holy Spirit just right now showed me a vision. And it's actually something that I believe Esther taught about in the week about the old temple in Jerusalem that was destroyed and how the destruction of the old temple marked the beginning of the construction of the new temple, which is men, God tabernacled within men, God tabernacled among men, God tabernacled as men. And even more than ever, it even ties to this teaching of death that we have begun and how we spoke about how every end serves as a seed plot for a new beginning. When God begins to tear down something old, it's because he wants to build something that is much more powerful and much more lasting in its place. Even physically speaking, when we go to the gym and we work out and we carry out our cardiovascular exercises, or calisthenic exercises or weight, weight, weight training exercises, in the moment that we begin to push the weight and we begin to resist the force of the weight upon us, what is happening is that the, our muscle tissues are actually being destroyed. Whenever you work out and you feel pain after working out, do you know that that pain is because of the destruction of your muscles? How many of us knew that? that the pain you feel after jogging or squatting or doing sit-ups or carrying weights is actually because your muscles are being destroyed. It is literally being dismantled and torn apart. And when it gets dismantled and torn apart, a newer and greater form is built in its place. And that is the same thing that God is doing in the church right now. God is tearing down a lot of structures, a lot of foundations, a lot of buildings. And when I talk about buildings, I'm not talking about structures like physical structures, like a physical building and all these things. I'm talking about ideal, ideological structures, doctrinal structures, mental frameworks that have upheld the church so, thus far. However, I've reached a point where it's very clear that the framework that we have built is quite unable to withstand the onslaught of the enemy in our generation. How many of us have noticed that much? How many of us have noticed that much? That the doctrinal system that we grew up with is not strong enough to withstand the attacks of the enemy in our generation. The holes are clear. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? The holes are clear. The loopholes are clear. The fractures in the building is very clear. And instead of people to be honest and say, my God, 
it actually appears that there's much more to God and much more to this truth than I know. Instead of being honest about that, we are quick to castigate anyone who does not correspond or agree completely with our belief systems and what we have believed so far. But God is tearing down old structures that have served their, 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 their role, right? Because everything for its time, the structures that are being torn down as of now were structures that actually brought deliverance, freedom, light, and liberation to the world. I hope you understand that much. Do you understand that much? I hope you understand that much. I don't know about you, but I grew up, at least I'm not so old, but at least I'm old enough to have grown up to see a black and white television. How many of us have actually seen, how many of us had it in our homes? The black and white television screen. How many of us saw that in our lifetime? Or even those small TV, TV, TVs that you can hold in your hand like this. How many of us remember that, that television? And guess what? In his time, it served me. True or false? It served me. I enjoyed it. It was blissful. It was great. It served its purpose. Even if it was not clear at that point, I didn't have anything to compare it to. So it was fantastic. And it brought me all the entertainment that I needed. Right? When I was in primary school, I remember when I would come back home, whether NTA or something like that, I have to wait for the particular time they'll show the cartoons that I like. And if I get home too late, I'll miss the four o'clock cartoon. I'll miss the two o'clock cartoon. I grew up having to bend my time to the, to, the, to the broadcasting network. And that was life at that time. But now I have Netflix. Every time I want, I can watch whatever I want and it waits for me. Do you guys understand? No, it's nothing like anything waiting for you back then. I think at some point, maybe DSTV tried to help us. They now introduced that recording option. Who remembers that, that, um, that um, option in DSTV? When they said you cannot record programs, you know? They did not know that they were giving Netflix all the tools that they needed to blow them out of the water. <laughs> Woo! But in this time, it served. Right? It, it served its role. And we were blessed by it. So much so that we would be foolish to ever look down on it and, and, and ever castigate it. But I think something, and this is just a side note, a lesson that I want every one of us to learn. I want every one of us to remember this. It is actually possible for some things used in your life to have come to an end and for you to part ways with that thing without you insulting that thing, without you looking down on that thing, without you becoming enemies with that thing. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Some of you have friends who at some point, even though they led you to the world and they made you do some bad things, in some way or form, they brought you some kind of salvation, true or false. Even if it was a false kind of salvation, there was a kind of peace they brought to you. There was a kind of help. There was a kind of hope. No matter how mediocre it was, do you guys understand what I'm saying? It helped you. It helped you. At that point, you have to always honor that. I have friends who, who are still in the world, but there are, some, there are some life principles that they bestowed in me that are still helping me to this day. I remember once upon a time, I had a friend, I won't call his name right now. I remember that time he gave me some money to hold for him. It was about maybe $30,000 or something like that. 
And then, and then there was some police issue that happened. This was when I was in college. There was some police issue that happened. Do you guys want to hear the story? This is a sidetrack, but I know you guys like so. Do you want to hear the story? <laughs> Believe me, it's still part of what we're talking about, right? But sometimes it's nice to just add some story elements to it and whatnot. So that night we went to the club, me and my friends, you know, we went to the club, we had a good time, we got some drinks and everything and whatnot and whatnot. When the night ended, what happened? So my friend's card wasn't working and he was the one that was meant to pay that night, but his card wasn't working. And then he told me, oh, 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 please, can you just help me pay this amount, blah, blah, blah. And when I go back home, I'll pay you the money. And the bill in the club, I think was about maybe 1.2 million naira or something like that. So I had the cash on me was that my friend's money. So I just paid the 1.2 million. And then we went to, we went to a resort. In, that was in Dubai that I went to a resort. And we had some guy with us who was trying to prove himself, trying to be some top shot, whatever. He now went to the hotel. He now booked out a whole three-floor apartment in the hotel, which cost about, I think maybe $8,000 a night or something like that. You know, when you got, I said, I was like, yo, Khalid, are you sure you can pay for this? You're like, no, no problem, no problem. Everything is fine. No problem, no problem. You know, let us have fun. I said, okay, no problem. So we got there, we party, we brought our girls, we did everything, you know. So we slept, we woke up the next day. We had a very massive party because it was a very big house, you know. So we're like, you know what? We're going to, we're going to, we started calling everybody, like, listen, there's going to be a lit party tonight. Come, we're calling everybody to come through. You know, we started buying drinks and everything. And then I ordered for some breakfast. And we're eating on the dining table. And then I just heard the sound, like, ah! Like, something broke. I thought it was like a vase that broke or something like that. I just thought, forget about it. So I started eating my breakfast and everything. Some people were in the pool. We were having a good time, you know. The next thing, I heard my friend scream. He's like, rookie, 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 rookie. Rookie, come, 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 come. I said, what happened? I was like, what's going on? What's going on? I just came outside. The next thing I saw, I saw my friend Khalid on the floor, blood everywhere blood i was in confusion i said what's going on i said safe what's going what's going on everybody started panicking you know we were like what's going on and we knew that once that happens there's no how police can't be involved and in dubai police matter you don't need police matter because they'll find something on you first of all it's it's kind of legal to get to to drink but it's illegal to be caught drunk, if I can put it like, legally you can drink in Dubai, but it's actually legal. Like, there are buildings that, they are like, only hotels can have liquor license because hotels are partly owned by expatriates. So in hotels, you can, you can drink, but technically you're not meant to leave the hotel um, drunk. If you're on the street drunk, they'll fine you a lot of money, you know? So, we were very afraid because like we had, we bought a lot of drinks. We kept so many drinks for the party tonight. So we had a lot of drinks even in the hotel and that was also illegal, right? And once this happened, police had to be involved, you know? <laughs> so I saw my friend bleeding on the ground. 
he had fallen from the third floor. As a matter of fact, what saved him was that when he fell from the third floor, he landed on the face that tore open his back and broke his fall. If not for the face that he fell on, he would have hit the cold hard concrete. But fortunately, falling on the fence, which opened up his side, actually saved him from dying. But guess what? That particular guy was what you call an Emirati. He's like a local. And in those in Dubai, for example, the people who are locals, they treat them much differently to, to expatriates or foreigners. Like they always prioritize them. And obviously, I was the only black guy there. Everyone was white or Arab. I was the only black guy in that place. I knew that if police come, I'm in trouble. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know? So I called one of my friends. I'm like, yo, bro, this is what happened. He said, rookie, you need to get out of there right now. As I was about to leave, one of them told me, yo, bro, you're on the camera. If you leave and the camera shows that you left after this happened, you will look very suspect. So I said, you know what? There were some girls that were there. I don't know of them. I said, you know what? All of you go and hide. Go and hide um, in another building and everything. So I just packed all of them out and I stayed there with one of my friends. Actually, I thought that my friend would stay with me. I went outside to try and pour water on my friend, put towel and everything. By the time I came back inside, <laughs> that my friend that was supposed to be with me, he called me. He said, rookie, bro, I'm so sorry, bro. I'm in a taxi right now. I'm going home, bro. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> ah! that's how police came police came they began to investigate everything they began to investigate they came to me they said hey show me your id i gave them my id he put it in his pocket i said boss give me back my id please he said shh, shh, shh. hold on the next thing a police officer that, wear, that wears brown uniform because they have police grade. When brown uniform police comes, you know that problem has come upon all of you. Brown police uniform enter that place. I said, Jesus. Jesus. Before you knew it, they brought a handcuff. They said, you people, you tried to kill this person. We are taking all of you to the station. They handcuffed me like this. Ah! I said, God. <laughs> Brethren, they put me handcuffed like criminal. Put me in the back seat. They carried all of us to the those, those stupid guys that I went to go and hide. They now came out from hiding. To not even make you look as if we really had something to hide. Then I asked them, where did you people come from? Ah, I said, you people have finished us. They packed all of us to the police station. That's how we got to the police station. They locked all of us inside one room. They started calling all of us one by one to interrogate us to see whether the story will corroborate. Real stuff. I want to tell you real fast. This is what I went through, bro. <laughs> and there's a moral here I'm getting to. <laughs> you know, they took us all in interrogation rooms. They're asking us, if they asked me, why did you try and kill this boy? I said, no, no, what, please? I, said, I started to cry. I said, because <laughs> at that point, I was even thinking that the guy didn't even die. I said, God, black man like me, black man, black man, you know, in Boland, black man, you'll finish me, black man. <laughs> I said, please, 
I said, please, I did not try to kill anybody. I started begging them, you know. I started begging them. After they finished interrogating, they told me to go out. They called the next person. What now saved us was that the boy woke up. And now told them, please, let all my friends go. Nobody pushed me. Because they were saying that we pushed him from the third floor. They were like, the way he fell down, based on the angle, this could not have been a drop. Someone must have pushed him. It's nonsense, stupid nonsense. You know, I said, please, don't let all my friends go. They didn't push me, blah, blah, blah. I actually jumped and tried to kill myself. Why did that boy try to kill himself? Foolish boy. He went to go and spend money that, that he, he did not have. Yeah? He used his mother's card to spend money. Then I started calling him, saying, what have, why did you spend this kind of money? <laughs> He was not able to face the consequence of his actions. He now jumped up from the third floor to try and, try and kill himself. What are, what are you trying to prove? Like, what are you trying to prove? Because even when they got that bigger, I was like, guys, are you sure you guys can, you know? Like, normally we used to go out, we used to spend money and all that, but $8,000 in a hotel. Like, the only people that used to do that was like, like, I had some friends who were like top shots, and those people, when they do that, I know it's nothing. Like, they'll go out. In one night, they'll spend $100,000 to get a book with a very massive presidential suite. Like, I know the kind of people that used to do that. But that was a guy that was in school with us. Like, I know you don't spend that kind of money, you know, but anyway, in my mind, I'm like, hey, I'm, not, I'm not the one paying. So, hey, let's, we might as well chop our lives, right? <laughs> you know? So, so um, when I heard that, a part of me was shocked. A part of me wasn't shocked. I was like, wow. I was like, this guy is actually a fan. In my head, I was like, go to punish this guy. This guy wants to finish all of us. So he told the police that we didn't do anything. The police said, okay, you know what? Let them test all of us for alcohol. Anybody that has alcohol, they will be locked in jail and they'll be fined. The fine then was about $4,000 per person if they catch alcohol in your system. That's how they took us to one machine that you blow inside. When you blow inside it to check your, it is able to measure the quantity of alcohol in your bloodstream. As I did there, I say, I don't speak in tongues, my friends. <laughs> ah, because me, let me tell you, back then, I had, even though I was what, I had some principles. Let me tell you what are my principles then. If I was in the club and I'm drinking, the moment I try and do a dance step and in an attempt to make one step, I see my leg makes three steps from staggering. The moment that happens, I don't drink again. And that was my law. The moment my dance is extra, once I see there's extra dance to my dance, I know <laughs> this is the time to stop. <laughs> so already, I already stopped drinking long before all of them. In the morning, all of them are still drinking. I don't stop the drink. I don't reply myself. You can't catch me sleeping. I was not one of those that you see vomiting. It never happened to me. Once I, because I like to keep my composure, I still like to be able to talk sweet and be able to, you know, all this stuff. So once I see my dance is too much, I just slow down. All of them were drinking. All their blood count was. <laughs> now, so I was the only one. I was the only one that that uh, wasn't now arrested because the alcohol left my body. They now locked all of them up. Now, all my friends were in jail. Who was going to bail them out? That's I now carried out my friends' money and bailed. All of them. When I now build all of them, 
In fact, I bailed them because that my friend who was in jail told me that when he gets home, his father, because blah, 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 his father would, would um, reimburse it immediately. Like, if he didn't tell me that, I would not have used my friend's money. He told me his father would reimburse it. He was also a liar. You know, that guy too was also a liar. Let me not even get into that. But that guy was a that guy used to lie too much. He was a liar. Ah, he was always using it's a it's fake life. You know, liar, always trying to liar. He now deceived me. He said, "Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry." My dad, my dad, my dad. And I now build this boy out of out of that place. Okay, where's your father? Story, 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 story. Safe, where is your father? Story, story, story. My friend started calling him, say, Ricky Alpha. Ah, I started to shake. I didn't pick his call again. I didn't answer him. I didn't answer him. I was afraid. I said, God, someone's money. Someone's money. Someone's money. God, 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 God. Someone's money. I said, God, God, God. That's how I now called one of that guy that was like a senior brother to that guy. I went to come meet him. I said, please. And with this guy's money, please let me talk to you. That's how the guy now came into the place. He was so mad. He was not like, I mean, the money was gone already, you know. He now told me, he said, let me tell you something. Don't forget this. And this is the point I'm trying to make. He said, Ricky, don't ever forget this. You must be a man. If you make a mistake, you must face it. You spend the money, you pick up my call, and you talk to me. You don't run away. You face the consequence of your action like a man. And let me tell you, even though me and him are not friends anymore in that light, and I don't run around the way I used to run around, I have never forgotten that word. I have never forgotten it. And that one moment, that one statement, it, 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 it adds something very deep in my character. And even if I moved on from him, I know in that, in, in that time or in those times, there were certain things that I gained from those friendships. There were certain things that I learned that were useful. There were ways that they helped me in that time that was for that time. And what's the point of what I'm saying? It's based on that statement I made in the beginning that it is possible to move on from something. It's possible for a time of a thing to come to an end and you move on without dishonoring that thing. Some of us, you move on from a particular, for example, some of us are here now. Because you are here, maybe you hear something that is beyond what was taught to you in your previous place. You now start to insult them here, saying, can you mind this? We don't know anything. And you might think that I will even follow you to be insulting people, people that nourished you at a particular point in your life that was exactly what you needed at a particular point in your life. Are you guys getting the point I'm trying to make? It is possible for you to transition from one old thing to another and still have honor. But you have honor for it does not mean that you go back to it. But you have honor for the role he played at the time he played it. Right? And you move on. So I'm saying all these things because people are talking about how our generation has come in order to initiate the new blah, 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 blah. But if we do that upon the foundation of dishonor and disrespect to the old, we are going to be in for a rude awakening. So everything serves its purpose in its time. In its time. GSM, those big phones that we used back then, they serve their purpose. And when we look at it, even though it doesn't have use to us today, 
We can still honor it. We don't despise it. Right? Don't despise it. Even though you don't have any place for it right now, give that honor for the place it held once upon a time and move forward. Because some of us, we don't know how to break up with something without hating that thing. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Once you end something with someone or something, you find a way to demonize it. It doesn't ever work. Right? It doesn't ever work. We just want to now demonize our friends. No. No need to do that. In a way, honor it for the role it played at that time. It was recently I realized what took me to pornography many years ago. Not many years ago, just like, what, three years ago? When I was, this is 2022, 2018. That was like four years ago. What dragged me to pornography was, it was an outlet for me to, for me to, there's something we call self-soothing. When you have pain or pressure, anxiety, and you go to something that can help you alleviate the pain, right? That was my outlet. I didn't know that then. I just thought I just liked it. But in my reflection now, I can see that that was what it was, right? It could have been fake, you know? This is my sound complex. But if we're not able to see the... If we're not able to see the good in something that is evil, we will not really be able to move on from it. If I don't acknowledge that those days of my youth were fun and were turned up, if I don't acknowledge that, that there was some excitement there, that there was some kind of happiness there, if I don't acknowledge, if I deceive myself that, oh, it was all bitterness, I'll be deceiving myself. And sooner or later, that same thing will catch me again because I have not, in a sense, seen that. <laughs> Look at, I know what I'm saying, right? I'm, just, I'm pausing because I, 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 this, I'm dancing right now, right? I'm dancing, right? So when I say I'm dancing, I'm playing in between light and darkness, right? So I'm, I'm walking in the middle path. And in the middle path, it's very easy for you to be misunderstood. So that's why I'm, I'm pausing so that you don't misunderstand me, right? So I'm, I'm treading a very dangerous line here, right? I have to be able to admit to myself that there's something very pleasurable about sex with multiple partners. I have to be able to admit that there's a joy that's a joy that I experienced or there's a joy to be experienced from living wild. I have to be able to admit that. I also have to be able to admit that that joy comes with a cost that I really cannot afford. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I'm too broke to afford that kind of joy. It's too expensive for me. What it costs me will bankrupt my entire business. So yes, I can see that there's pleasure and there's happiness there, but you see that happiness, I don't have the money for it. <laughs> Do you guys get my point? Do you guys get my point? But I'm not ignorant that there's some kind of pleasure there and there's some kind of outlet. 
But what that outlet will cost me, I can't pay it. And that's how I'm able to stay away from it. Everything that I used to hold on to. Looking at them and saying, yes, uh, yes, God bless you. Yes, 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 yes. You know, I, oh, I'm not calling you evil. I'm not saying that, oh, you are the worst in the world, right? But what it will cost me to be with you, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. You're not bad. But the cost of your friendship is too great for me. I'm broke. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? I'm too broke to have this friendship with you. Your friendship is too expensive. What it will cost me, I can't afford it. And that's why I have to move on. I'm not saying you're a bad person, because the truth, no one is really bad. People can only be bad for you, but no one is really bad, because as they are everywhere, someone would love them. And they are, they are just what someone needs. Even someone that is bad, that bad is what is good for you to grow. Do you get my point? So to say something is absolutely bad is wrong. There's nothing that is absolutely bad. And there's nothing that's absolutely good. Everything at any time can become good and bad, depending on the situation, depending on the person, depending on the circumstance, right? Joseph, was he bad that he was arrested? Yes, but he was good, right? He was good that his brother sold him and he was bad. Two of them can dance at the same time. Anyway, I said all this to say this. By the time when old things are passing away, old things are passing away, and there are new things that God is now building, especially in his house. But if we make the mistake of dishonoring what was before us, there's a lot that we're going to miss out on. And there are a lot of mistakes that we will make even in our own time. Because everything has its own kind of value. Even if the value is misplaced, right? Everything has its own kind of value. And we have to be able to recognize it, acknowledge it, and see where it can rightfully be placed. Right. And so now, a teaching such as this, for example, on death, is something that God wants to bring to the church in order to bring a kind of enlightenment, a kind of awakening, a kind of new understanding that will help us to be able to approach things in a different way, at least. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to know exactly what is going on or what, what, we don't have to have the exact details. But sometimes a little understanding helps really solve the deep complexities of our emotions. And today, for example, we're going to continue teaching. And the things that God told me to talk about, he gave me two points. The first point will be average. Well, let me call it average. But the second point will be heavy. Let me just put it like that. The second point will be very heavy. And the second point will shock a lot of us. The second point will shock us to our bones. <laughs> the second point will shock us to our bones. And um, it will shock us to our bones. And it would. But it will bring enlightenment. Someone say hallelujah. Someone say Hallelujah. 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 The first point, and both points are actually questions that we will attempt to answer over the course of this conversation. And God willing, we won't spend too much time tonight. So long as some interesting people don't come with some questions that will take us on a very crazy tangent. 
The first point, why do we die? Why do we die? Why do we die? That's the first question. And it's a question that really has to be understood intricately in order to edit a certain perspective we have whenever death happens. Because when death happens, people are quick to say, oh God, God, how can you be God and see this person died to hell with you, God. You can't be God because if you were God, this person would not die. And the pain that they are feeling, that pain is not because the person died. The pain is because of their interpretation of that death. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yes. Judas came to kiss Jesus Christ. Normally, a kiss is supposed to be a good thing, right? But I want to ask you, if someone came to give you a Judas kiss and you knew it was a Judas kiss, would you be at peace? Would you be at peace? Like a kiss is supposed to be a good thing, right? But if someone came to give you a kiss that you know is a Judas kiss, would you be at peace? No. You won't be at peace not because of the kiss, but because of the interpretation you have of that kiss. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Suffering or enjoyment has a lot to do with interpretation. Suffering or enjoyment has a lot to do with interpretation. If you're in high school and your teacher is about to flog you and you know flogging is about to come and they begin to rub your shoulder, they say, ah, ah, Timmy Dio, how are you? And they're rubbing your shoulder, you're like, don't touch me, please. What kind of rub is this? Because you know that this is a diabolic rub. <laughs> You know, this is a rub from hell. Don't get this rub should get out of. Don't touch me with this rub. Don't touch me. Get out of my life. Why are you rubbing me? <laughs> right? Why is anyone with the rub? Because the rub is a soothing thing, right? But the way you have interpreted that rub, peace has left your soul. You know, in the same vein, if you are sad and you're upset about something and someone comes to rub you in the exact same manner, you don't tell them to get out. You don't tell them, don't touch me. You actually embrace it. True or false? What was the difference between those two experiences? I'm asking. What was the difference between those two experiences? What was the difference between the interpretation? Perception, right? That's another word to use. The interpretation, the perception made the difference. A lot of suffering we experience because of death or when death happens is because of the interpretation that we have of that moment. And there are many interpretations we have, but one of them that I want to talk about today is why do we die? And it's something that we all, we all already know but it's good for us to just take it back and um, 
the ladies very healthy foundations again for it to sink in. And by the grace of God, I'll try to unpack it in, in a way that every single one of us can understand. I'll unpack it and make it as relatable and as down to earth as possible. And in answering this question, we have no choice but to carry ourselves into the book of Genesis chapter 3. And I'm sure a number of us already know where I'm going to, right? It shouldn't come as a surprise that I'm going to Genesis chapter 3, right? Because this is the very beginning, right? This is the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Let me open it right here. My application is being a bit slow, but God is on the throne. And God is bigger than this application. Hallelujah. (laughs) Or someone could post it for me. Someone could post it for me so that um, we can jump right into it. Okay. I think we're good now. Genesis chapter 3. This is when God was talking to Adam. Or when Satan came to Adam, right? So Genesis chapter one. So what do we read chapter one, chapter chapter one, verse one, two, and three, right? Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he had said to the woman, "Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of of the garden?" And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Lest you die. You shall not eat it. You shall not touch it. You shall not partake of it, lest you die. Many think the beginning of death in our world is because Adam ate the fruit or Eve ate the fruit. But when they ate the fruit, we see very clearly that even God said, now he has eaten the fruit and he knows good and evil like us. Are you guys getting my point? God had the knowledge of good and evil and he wasn't dead. So how come something that God could have and stay alive, when Adam had it, he died? That makes us ask the question, is it the fruit that killed him or is it disobedience that killed him? Question for us. Question for us, is it the fruit that killed him or is it disobedience that killed him? Disobedience. Have you guys heard of what is called water poisoning? Have you heard of what is called water poisoning? Water poisoning is when you ingest more water than your body can process. And then the water kills you. But it's not the water that kills you. 
What kills you is your disobedience to the law of your body. Does that make sense, people? Does that make sense? Because your body has laws and it tells you, right? If you step on a nail, you hear you feel a pain in your body that makes you scream. Ah! Yes, because there's a law that is telling you you shouldn't step on that, right? If you eat rotten food, your stomach will do boom, 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 until that thing comes out. Because there's a law that tells you this cannot be ingested in this body. Maybe a cow can eat this and be fine, but you cannot. Because there is a law that governs this body. And the moment you go outside of the law that was created for your own sustenance, you perish. So what has brought death into the world is not the fruit, is not woman, as some people say, because, oh, it's woman that causes. No, it is disobedience. It is lawlessness. It is sin. And the word sin is from a very interesting Hebrew word that I know some of us are already familiar with. It's from a word called chata. C-H-A-T-A. Chata. The C is, you, you, you drag it with your throat. Chata. And the word chata literally means to miss the mark, right? To miss the mark. And it was gotten from a part in the Bible where men would aim to throw an arrow at a bullseye. And when they miss that bullseye, they call that missing sin. And when you look at that, when you look at that, you realize that that bull's eye doesn't just represent you throwing a dart to a bull's eye, but it represents almost everything in life. Because if you pause and think very deeply, there are different kinds of bull's eyes, isn't it? Have you had a moment when someone caught you when you were very vulnerable and words that you would not have listened to at any other time just because they caught you at that moment? You listen to it. Have you had a moment before? Have you had a moment before? Or maybe you caught someone at a time that was opportune and you said something to them at a time when they were very vulnerable. And because you said it at the right moment, at the right time, at the right place, you hit the mark. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? It seems like we're lost. Are you, did I lose you guys somewhere? Is anyone lost? Because I see we're quiet. Are you lost? Are you guys lost? Is anyone lost? Hmm? Okay, you're lost, right? All right. I'm talking about sin, right? And in the Bible, the concept of sin originates from people trying to throw a dart at a bull's eye. We all know what a bull's eye is, right? Please respond to me. We all know what a bull's eye is, right? Right. So the Bible used the bull's eye to explain sin, which is when you try to aim for the bull's eye and you miss the mark. I'm not trying to explain how 
many things in life can be a bullseye, right? You want to give someone a compliment and they are offended because your compliment missed the mark. Does that make sense? In that moment, your compliment, even though well intended, was sinful. When we hear the word sin, we think about sexual immorality, but there's more to sin than sexual immorality. I hope you guys are following me. Sin has to do with missing the mark. Even if that means getting into a room five minutes before you should have or five minutes after you should have, you have sinned. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Is everyone following me? The human abdomen doesn't have the faculty, the infrastructure to process raw grass. If you ingest raw grass into your body, you have sinned against the body. And you will surely experience the consequence of that sin. For the wages of sin is death, said Paul. The salary for the work of sin will always be death. And sin comes into existence when God is disobeyed. You get married when you're not supposed to. You have a child when you're not supposed to. You don't have a child when you're supposed to. You begin this friendship when you're not supposed to. You end it when you're not supposed to. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? All of these things are sins. And all of these things cause problems. You're with your significant other, your partner. How many of us can testify of this? Those of us in relationships. Have you had that moment when you had something that was hurting you, that was burning in your heart, and you brought up that issue at the wrong time, and it just made everything blow up? Has anyone of us had that experience before? Has anyone of us had that experience before? When you brought up this thing at the wrong time. It's true. What you experienced, what happened was true. You were offended by this that happened. What he said, do or what she said, it was true. But the time you brought it up was the wrong time. And the explosion that happened caused you to see that, ah, I should have waited. Do you guys understand? That is what you call sin. You missed the mark. Because if you hit the mark, you would have said what you needed to say in that time that probably would have averted that kind of reaction. And hey, sometimes it's necessary for that reaction to happen. There's a time where you know what, because sometimes there are people who don't ever like you to tell them what's on your mind. Every time you want to express yourself, they'll find a way to stop it. So sometimes you just have to break it out, you know, and just say, hey, listen, you're going to hear what I have to say. And to heaven with whatever happens, it will be said, right? God willing, hopefully we don't, it doesn't have to get you that, but we can't be afraid of conflict. Sometimes what needs to be said needs to be said. And let anyone who is going to be offended, be offended. Nevertheless, I know we've all had that experience I'm talking about, right? Where you weren't intending to fight. You weren't intending, you, you didn't intend to rile the other person up. But you riled them up regardless. Because you missed the mark. Whether you missed it with the timing. Whether you missed it with the tone of your voice. I'm sure some of you know this. You might say the right thing and everything, but your tone is what just spots everything. Your tone just, it just spots everything and passed across the wrong message. You missed the mark. And because of that, 
sorrows and pain came into existence because the mark was missed. And the mark was missed because in that moment, there was no receptivity to the Holy Spirit. And when you look at the world today, you will see that 99.9999% of the actions that are being made by men are not in any way connected to what the Holy Spirit has said or is saying. You want to know the first evidence of that? Do you want to know? Do you want to know? Do you want to know? 90% of the species that existed upon this earth have died. 90%. Do you know once upon a time in the Middle Ages, before you could as much as, as much as cut a tree down, you have to consult with the person who is like a priest in that locality? Did you guys know that? That before you can even cut a tree down, you must consult with him. And he'll be the one to tell you, cut trees in this place. Don't cut trees in that place. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Even now, a lot of research has started happening. People now know there's something called open season. Have you guys heard of that word open season before? Where this is a season where you can hunt animals, but in other seasons, you can't hunt them. Because if you hunt them at that time, you put their existence at risk because at that time they have not really um, copulated and multiplied. So if you kill them at that time, you've killed all the people that can copulate and give new offspring. So they have what they call off-season and on-season in animal hunting. So even human beings, to some degree, they've started to pay attention to nature. Even if they can't hear God, they pay attention to nature. Like, ah, if we do anyhow, anyhow, trouble will come. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Back then, people didn't just build houses anywhere. Do you know that a lot of the Catholic churches that were built in Europe, a lot of those churches, all the cathedrals that were built, do you know that on those sites, before the church came there, those localities, that, lo that localization of, of, of that land that the churches, the cathedrals were built on, before then, other temples were built upon there. Do you guys know that? Now, most of those cathedrals in Europe, where it was, where they built the cathedrals before then, other temples existed, the shrines and all those things. You didn't know that. What made those people of the past build in those same places? And what, even if the people of those, of, of, of the, of the, of those, uh, the Middle East churches, even if they didn't have full awareness of what they were doing, what made them still build in those particular locations? Why? What did they understand? What did they know that made them know, ah, I must build it here? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Because the planet is like a living organism. And that's like your physical body that there are some points in your body that energy is most concentrated. There are points like that on the planet. And in those areas that people build things, in those places that people go to do a lot of fetish, whatever, and it's not, it's not for bad, it's not for good. It's just what it is. In those particular regions, energy is at a surplus. And if you build something there, if you, if you erect something there, there's a kind of support that environment gives to you because of where it is situated. 
But you can't know that. If you're not walking in some kind of alignment with something beyond you. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Men didn't just go and just fish anywhere. They didn't just kill animals anyhow. Even in the Bible, you see how they kill animals with respect. It's written, you don't kill a, a kid in front of the mother. That's a kid goat. You don't kill it in front of the mother. And you don't strangle them because they understood that there is a complexity of the souls of these animals that cannot be disregarded. Yes, they might be lesser organisms than you, but they have a level of existence that is worthy of some kind of respect. That if you kill them in a certain kind of dishonor, you will poison their body. And when you ingest such bad meat, it will poison you as well. Did you guys know that? The animals that are strangled, even physically speaking, when, you, when they check their meat, when they check their flesh, the way the blood vessels are is different from animals that are they were killed differently. Do you guys know that? When an animal dies in terror and depression, it enters into the meat. Do you guys know that? The whole energetic structure of that meat is tainted and you eat it. Now you understand why Jews are so particular about eating things that are kosher. And Muslims, Arabs, are particular about eating, about eating things that are halal. Because even if they don't really know it in this time, the sages of times past cause them to understand. Every life has significance. And if you mistreat a life, that same life will also mistreat you. The American Indians, they had deep respect and veneration for the animals that lived with them. They looked at the buffaloes, the cattle, as their brothers. The buffalo will help them to plow the soil. The buffalo will help them to carry their heavy load. The buffalo will give them meat to eat when they're hungry. The buffalo will give them skin to cover their backs. How can you not have respect for an animal like that? Whenever they kill it, if one doesn't have understanding, you think they're praying to the animal, but that's not what they're doing. It's veneration. Acknowledgement for this life that has given itself to me. And I'm just, in, in that moment, this is me reminding myself that this was something that was done because it was needed. I didn't kill this animal for sport. I didn't just waste his life. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? There was an understanding that people of the past had. And that's why back then, whenever they have famine, because the people of the world today, we, they, we, we laugh at the men of the past. We say, look at you idiots. For example, we go to the Catholic church, for example, we say, oh, you have the saint of rain. You have the patron saint for famine. You have the patron saint for sickness and health. There's a, yes, they might have idolized all those things, but there's a wisdom that they grasped. That every aspect of nature has a particular custodian, which is a kind of, ambassador of God upon the earth. We can call them angels, we can call them astronauts of God, whatever. But in their own system of, of knowledge, they use saints to represent that. But in the Bible, you see when David is in trouble, he wants for God, he wants to fight battle, he calls upon the name of the mighty God. He says, um, Elohim Gibor or Jehovah Sabaoth. People want um, um, healing. They call upon the name of God in association to healing and all these things. They had an understanding that God had partitioned himself to different jurisdictions in the earth. 
And when you find, an, because there's not meant to be famine. Food is meant to be in surplus. There's not meant to be drought. Rain is meant to be in surplus. If there is no rain, the problem is not to solve it scientifically. The problem is to pause and ask yourselves, what have we committed that has caused an imbalance in nature that has made rain to be withheld from us? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Is it making sense? Because we love those people. And we say they are fools. They say, look at me, my science. I will create irrigation system. You create irrigation system that will solve the problem today, but to create 10 more problems. Have you really solved the problem? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? When you don't understand the problem and you bring solutions, you create greater problems for yourself. And that's what the men of science have done in this planet. And look at how everywhere is decaying and destroying. Look at in, in the year 2020, during the time of COVID, when no one was moving around the rivers in Sicily, in Italy, just four months that no one touched. Do you guys see those videos? Four months of staying away from those rivers. I think, what's, what's, the name, what's the name of the river again? I'm trying to remember. Who can remind me the name of that river? Is it in Sicily or who can remind me? Venice. Thank you, Jefferson. Venice. Before COVID, the river was so polluted, so dirty. When they just left that river on its own for four months, it didn't need anybody's help. It cleansed itself and became crystal clear again to show you that the problem was man. That death happening in that water was man. It's not God that is wicked. It was man who is living out of alignment with divine law, who is sinning against everything, sinning against his body, sinning against his neighbor, sinning against the animals, sinning against the land, sinning against the sea, sinning against the air, sin everywhere. Sin abounding everywhere, inaccurate actions everywhere. And because of that, death enters the world. You live in Niger Delta, for example, or maybe you live in the East, and then they kidnap someone in someone's family, and you say, God, if you are alive, why do you let them kidnap this person's family? On a small scale, I can understand their pain, and their pain is very valid. And it's very justified if their family member has been kidnapped and everything. But it's not God that caused their family member to be kidnapped. It's men. If we do not put wickedness upon ourselves, people will not resort to that kind of evil to feed themselves. True or false? True or false? True or false? If we do not met evil upon ourselves, and treat people poorly and abandon this part and live away this part and have one, one small person rise and have everyone licking his feet. If life wasn't that way, would someone have to resort to that kind of criminal activity? Do you think they enjoy living in the bush? It's a miserable life. Do you think they enjoy it? Where well, they can only come out once a month and go and drink and everything and they run back into forests and mosquitoes. Do you think they really want to live that? Think about it. Do you think in their heart of hearts that's the life they want to live? Absolutely not. And we have to know 
that for all the decay that is happening in this world, mankind is responsible. Because Satan didn't just offer the apple. God knows where. Satan offers the apple in every moment of our lives. He's still offering that apple. And so long as men are eating that apple, then we stay in the world. No matter how small the apple might be, you are part of the contribution to decay in this world. Because even physically speaking, our lifespan is reducing. Why? We are eating the wrong food. Sin. True or false? You go to the village, they are, they are living to 120 years easily. When the city people are struggling to get to 60 years or 60 years of age. By the time they are 60, they even look like they're 90 years old because of the nonsense they have eaten over the past years. They laughed at the villagers who would track and say, You primitive people, you are still working. Look at us sitting in our car. And you thought, you thought that human beings were just meant to sit down in a car and go everywhere until commerce started coming. We're laughing at people for walking two miles to go and fresh water, but on the treadmill, we'll run 10 miles. Do you know? Do you, <laughs> who is the one that should be pitied? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? What is the wisdom that came upon you that made you choose to wake up in the morning and run 10 miles on the treadmill or one mile on the treadmill or two miles? What wisdom came upon you that made you realize this is something that needs to happen? Something that we used to laugh and mock the people in the forest. They look at you, bricklayer. But we were laughing at bricklayer for carrying it on his head, but we we'll go to the gym and carry even more than that on our head. What, what, how, what knowledge came upon us that made us realize that these people actually, they're actually more fortunate than us because at least in their carrying things, at least there's still some purpose to it. There's nothing more boring than running on a treadmill and not going anywhere. At least if you are going to fetch water, at least you're going somewhere. Isn't it so? <laughs> you guys understand what I'm saying? True or false, right? At least you're going somewhere, right? Men are living inaccurately. Inaccuracy everywhere. Inaccuracy. Back then, the reason why they arranged marriages, people don't, do you guys know why they used to arrange marriages in times past? Do you guys know why? Do you guys know why? Because the elders, and it's not something that's meant to be an absolute rule. It's something that's just to serve as a kind of placeholder until people develop their own, let me use the word, individuality. And I'll talk about that more in the second point. By individuality, I'm talking about when you understand your actual identity in God. But I'll talk about that more in the second point. When you discover your eternal identity, as a result of you knowing God firsthand, and it begins to give you direct instructions pertaining to you, until you get to that point, you have to be led by the instructions given to the masses. Hey, we're doing 40 days fast. Oh, yeah, join. We're doing prayer chain. Oh, yeah, join. Because 
you have not yet gotten to the point where God starts to tell you what you have to do in particular. And sometimes that can even mean join the 40-day fast. It can mean join the prayer chain. Or it can mean no. Like Jesus Christ. On Sabbath day, everyone was sitting in their house, but he was going around doing miracles because he had attained what we call individuality. So now, I don't need to live by the rules of the masses because I have discovered the inward law, the true law of God revealed to me. So most people don't have that inward law. And they don't have that inward law that can tell them, this woman, you can't marry her now. This woman, you must marry her. God told me, he said, look at Esther, that's your wife. That's your wife. That's what he said. That's your wife. I just known this lady for two weeks. I didn't know her from Adam. We are not courted. We are not dated. Nothing. He said, that's your wife. Everyone else is not. On the outside, it looked unlikely. We're two different people, two different points of view, two different, we're different. But God said, that's your wife. Because in spirit, he saw what our union was capable of achieving. He saw what our compatibility was capable of achieving. And he saw what our incompatibility as well was capable of achieving in both of us. Because sometimes you think God just brings people together because they are compatible. Sometimes he brings you because you are incompatible. And your incompatibility is meant to carry out a work of transformation in both of you. Someone say amen. Someone say amen. 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 So the elders of that time, they knew the people who were compatible, who were not compatible. They knew who could work on this and work on they, they, they knew this. I'm talking about the real elders who had divine sight. And they would say, Emeka, Chiamaka, marry yourselves. And they will arrange it like that. And they bring them together. And in those days, most of the time, such marriages don't fail. Because they, it was not just guesswork. It was by wisdom and counsel that it was done. Because the people themselves have not yet attained individuality. When I talk about individuality, I'm talking about your identity in God and your own communion and rapport with God. Because naturally speaking, you just get up and say, I want to marry this person from another tribe. There was nothing wrong with marrying someone from another tribe, but the reason why they said don't marry someone from another tribe is that someone who grew up in a different psychological field than from you, in a different cultural background, the tendency of you guys to have conflict is very high. True or false? True or false? Someone whose background is different, whose, how they raised them was different, everything was different. You're going you're gonna to knock your heads from now to tomorrow. And because you don't have the internal infrastructure to actually navigate your way through that and find some kind of harmony through that, they try and save you from that potential discord by saying, don't marry a different tribe. Are you guys understand? I'm just trying to give you an, an, an understanding of why things like that were done. Before it got corrupt and people were doing it because of pride or money or some kind of um, political advantage, et cetera, et cetera. This was the original reasons why they did these things, right? 
men lived in obedience to laws. They didn't act recklessly. Because ideally, I don't need... There's a reason why mango comes out at only a particular point in the year. Why should you have mango all year round? Who told you that that's how it's supposed to be? Do you guys understand my point? Do you guys understand my point? Who told you mango is supposed to be all year round? Who told you avocado is supposed to be all year round? Who told you watermelon is supposed to be all year round? If nature provided this to you at this time, there's a reason why. If nature doesn't provide it to you at this time, there's a reason why. And if your science begins to respect the natural law that God has given to preserve all of creation, then your science is very useless because all it does is accelerate death. And that's what has happened in the world today. Look at all these young people now crying for freedom, 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 freedom. Away with all laws, away with all rules, away with all authority. I pray that they don't live to see the consequences of their foolishness. Now they say we have control, we have power. The one who really has power, who truly has power, and who is wise with that power, is the one that knows where exactly they must submit that power. As great as God is, he submitted himself to you. Do you know that? Do you know that with all his power, with all his magnanimity, with all his strength, he submitted it all to man. He submitted himself and became a sacrifice for mankind. He bound himself to loving us. That's power. Knowing exactly where and when to lay down. My men, disregard all these things. They ignore all these things. They disrespect the planet. They remove oil when they're not supposed to remove oil. They excavate gold when they're not supposed to excavate gold. And they are wondering why they are experiencing hurricanes and earthquakes. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Gold, silver, all these precious metals have the capacity to harness electromagnetic currents. Do you think they're not doing something at the cross of the earth? Do you know what they are doing there? You're just removing all of them. How would there be destabilization? Why wouldn't there be tornado? Why would hurricane come when you are ruining the planet? Hurricane, tornado, all these things is like sneezing and coughing of the planet. You guys understand what I'm saying? Earthquake is like the, the planet coughing, sneezing. It's like it's having shivering. Are you guys able to understand me? Are you guys able to understand me? Hurricane will come and wipe out 5,000 people. Say, God is wicked. Have you asked yourself what you did? It's like you now. You know that there's only so much you can expose yourself to dust and dirty environment, but you do it anyway. Then you start to cough and sneeze and have kata. You don't say, God, you're wicked, I have kata. Does that make sense? Is, am I speaking to somebody? The first reason why death exists in this world today is because man walks in disobedience. Man ignores things. 
cancer is killing Americans because they are walking in disobedience. They are disobeying their bodies. That's why at 55, your organs are already failing because you fed it with what it does not need. And you're calling God at 55 when cancer is tearing you apart. You should have called God at 20 to tell you what to eat. Am I lying? Am I lying? My mom was 53 years old. No, that time she was 55. 55. She woke up one morning, her mouth had gone numb. Her right hand had gone numb. Stroke was setting upon her. She couldn't talk. She couldn't fold her hand. Her mouth was down. Her eye was down. It was as though this woman, stroke had come upon her. She would not be well again. When she went to see a doctor, the first thing the doctor told her, I said, hey, ma'am, you're actually very high in cholesterol and it's part of the things that has blocked the pathway of, of, of neurons in, in your body. You need to reduce your cholesterol. You need to reduce your oil intake. You need to reduce this. You need to re reduce that. The moment this woman changed her diet, she didn't even do any physiotherapy. The moment she changed her diet, in one month, everything was back to normal. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Am I talking to someone? Hello? Am I talking to somebody? Hi. You can say, oh God, how can you let stroke hit my mother? I look at how she has served yes, you for sir. many years. Yes, She's been a minister. She has gone to crusade here, don't crusade there. How can uh, uh, stroke hit this woman? Isn't it easy for anyone to say that? Anybody will say that. But no. The stroke hit her because of other disobedience that she did in her own generation or that the generation before her did. Because there are certain things that we have done to our bodies in the way we have wrongly treated our bodies. Now, whether we like it or not, we're going to pass it down to our children. And if they are wise, they will correct it while they are young. So that by the time they are old, they edit, that, edit the errors that we have done out of their own bodies. Not only physical errors, but also spiritual and psychological errors that lead to death sooner or later. So before anyone even says, God, why this person this? We have to first of all understand the reason why death exists in the first place. And we have to know the role that we are playing that ensures that death is present. Am I speaking to someone? Is it a hard saying? Is it a hard saying? I hope it's not too hard. I hope it's not too hard. It's the truth. Can you deny that what I'm saying is true? Can anybody deny it? You can't deny it. You can't deny it. You can't deny it. When plagues come upon the earth, the earth produces plagues when we have abused it. It's like giving yourself, giving your body the wrong nutrition and you expect health to come out. How can it come out? What will come out is bacteria. The planet is like that. When you mistreat it, it mistreats you back. They even disrespect the nature of spirits. People don't even know these things. 
you just go and plant anyhow. You don't recognize that there are custodians there. Everyone just, just ignorantly say, oh, it's all witchcraft. You don't know common sense. You just go and plant anything there. You think it will just work like that. Go on. You, you, you will see what will happen. The people who have big corporations that work with the, the ground, go and ask them. That work with the sea, go and ask them. They'll tell you what they do to make sure things are okay. You think you can just go there and plant in that farm or excavate that mine without certain things being done first. How can it be? There are guardians for all these things. Miners will tell you of what is known as the gnomes. And I'm sure you must have seen it in cartoons, but we don't know that is a reality. What are called gnomes. And different cultures represent them differently. Gnomes. They're represented as short, short men. They always have gold with them or something like that. They are the ones that are custodians of all these minerals in the earth. And there's a time that you can go to a particular place and find gold. When they look at you and they see the kind of heart you have, you go and come back, that gold has been teleported from that place. These are, there are many stories like this. It's not strange. They will remove it. They will not let you have it. They will go and drop it at the house of someone who they believe is deserving. These are realities. You enter that particular forest or enter that bush, you just do anyhow, all of a sudden, illnesses start to happen to all the people that enter there. In fact, the illness might never manifest in their generation, it manifests in the third generation, but you know it's because of what the parents did there, because they were walking in sin. Sin. Yes, confidence. Confidence. I remember the River Niger stories some Julius Berger guys used to tell when I was little. Building a bridge took count. Yes, it took countless lives because they just went there and certain things were not done. There are powers that are custodians there. You can't just go there. Either you go there in darkness or you go there in light, but you can't just go there without addressing them. You can't. And when you address them, God will even tell you to do things that will not be in, in, in disrespect to the things that are there. They might even tell you, listen, this particular um, material, you must not put it in this water. And you must not. And if you work with the Holy Spirit, he'll tell you why they are asking you not to put it in this water. And if you are a scientific person, God can explain it to you scientifically. That's the reason why we read, so that you can have a better understanding or a much more tangible understanding of things that are, that are already known in spirit. A bushman doesn't need to explain to you why this chemical reaction happened. They just know, oh, they told me don't put this thing here. I won't put it there. Finish. And they will go. They don't need to know all the detail, all the, okay, you'll bring the chemical formula. They don't need to know all these things. All they know is the obedience. They said, don't put it here. I don't put it here. That's all. And it works for them. True or false? You see all those traditional people who know how to heal broken bones and everything. They just, all this extra, extra. They don't really... They just do it and it works, right? Is there some deficiency in what you don't know, some intricacies? Yes. But they just do it and it works. There's a kind of respect and veneration and honor they have for things around them. They don't do it anyhow. They don't kill animals anyhow. They don't do it for sports, not for entertainment. And oh, I can show you, I can kill this. No, no, they didn't do it. They didn't treat nature like that because they understood that every single thing that exists is a worker in the ecosystem of this planet. And to kill one is to affect a particular department in the organization of this planet. Everything is doing something. You can't just do anyhow. But men have done anyhow. 
because they are slaves to their greed, they are slaves to their pride, they are slaves to their revenge. And they are the reason why death is present. So forget about the deep intricacies of how it might have happened. You have to learn how to look at things on a higher level. This is the reason why death exists, first and foremost. So that narrative of, oh God, you are bad, I this person that you have to first of all understand why death exists in the first place. And if you really want to solve that problem of death, it's not by solving it only in your family. If you want to solve death by only solving it to your family, you are part of the problem and you are going to ensure that death still comes because you still not gotten to the point. You still only think about yourself. Is someone understanding me? You want to solve death only in your house. Let God just keep only my family alive, but I don't want to solve death in the world by changing my ways. Changing my ways to the point I begin to influence other people to change their ways so that they can influence other people to change their ways to the point where all of us are doing things differently. And as opposed to cultivating death, we start to cultivate life. Are you guys with me? This is something that God will have us understand. There was an old story, an old Eastern story that was told. There was a particular priest in the village. A woman came with a dead child. And she started crying. Please, please, master, 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 come and save my child. Please, master, save my child. And he said to her, woman, I'll save your child on one condition. I want you to go to every house in this village and bring for me salt from a house that has not been visited by death. If you can bring salt from a house that death has not visited, I'll raise your child. Of course, the lady got up and began to go from house to house. Have you seen that here? Uh, they say, yes. So just last week, my father he went to the next house. Have you seen that here? Ah, yes. So two years ago, I lost my... Yes. Went to the next house. By the time she got to the seventh, eighth, ninth, she started to realize something. Ah. So it's not just me. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? By the time she went back to that man, she had a different disposition entirely. Because even if you raise the even if you raise the boy, which you could, the boy will still die. So that mindset in itself was a flaw that they wanted to remove from her that death isn't something that should happen. Who said it should happen? Says who? And that's something that has to be sinking. And then when that changed, it helped her interpret what had happened to her differently. God is not wicked. Everything that God is doing is actually to save us from all these things. That's why the Bible says the last enemy to be defeated is death because God wants to defeat this thing that we with our own hands 
have brought into the world. Yes, we can argue, didn't God know that? And yes, it was probably part of the plan. Because, hey, how do you know that God didn't plan for this to happen? And for us to learn through this experience so that by the time we come back, we come back with knowledge and we obey him because of knowledge and understanding, not just because someone said so, right? Because there's that, right? God doesn't just want you to obey him because he said so. He wants you to obey him because you know. And sometimes you need to experience to know. And he knew that would happen. And that might have been part of the plan. And that's why the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, because he knew that men would sin, right? Nevertheless, we must understand that sin, missing the mark, disobedience, is what has ushered in death into the world. So before we move forward, I'd like to hear our thoughts, comments, questions. This is 9.34. Let us do this for just 10 minutes, and then we'll go to the next point. I want us to be out of here latest, 10.30 p.m. So I'd like to hear our thoughts, comments, questions on all all that has been said thus far before we move to the next point. Who would like to go first? Timidayo, go ahead. Um, thank you so very much, sir. Um, I, I began to see why um, there's this popular saying that if you do not know why um, an ancient landmark has been put or why they put the fence, if you don't know why, don't remove it. Because there, there are so many things like you were just saying. In fact, I've just began to see the pitfall of science, not like in its totality, as like you said, nothing can be. Um, absolutely bad but I just began to wonder that wow can you imagine the sin I'm committing in contributing to the death of of what's the name of society I began to think of Yoruba people why they always say that oh that's the evil forest you know why this we don't do this in this place you know we don't use broom yet you don't need to understand why you don't sit on um Yoruba people you don't sit on um, what they call it mortal and pestle just things that look very scary and you don't touch iron when there is thunder. You don't whistle when yes. there is this. You don't do that. So I just began to see that, wow, there is a lot to actually know. So thank you very much, sir. You're so very welcome. You're so very welcome. Hold on one second, guys. I need to just get my dog. It's really disturbing. One second. All right, confidence. By the way, Timila, that was so, so good. So, so good because you don't know why, you don't know why the, the institution, all those things, right? And if you actually go back in history, you'll be able to find out that these people were not crazy. There was a reason why they said, don't do this, don't do that, because there was an understanding that they had of the elements, especially interact, in interaction with people. Like even that stuff of don't touch iron when it's the thunder, like there are some, there was some, there was some, architectural evidence that showed that there are some people who lived 4,000 years ago that knew that metal was a conductor of electricity and they put spikes on their roof in order to create like, I don't know where, what they said that they used it to power their, their things in their house. I don't know how true that is, but the way they built their home showed that they had some understanding of electricity and its relationship with iron. So all these things were known even in a primitive way and they structure their lives around these things, right? They, when they had festivals, their festivals were not random. Even the Jews, for example, because people, you know, in, in, in ignorance, 
People look at the moon and say the moon is evil. Oh, witches are the ones that are always doing full moon. Oh, they're the ones that have festival in full moon. Only witch, witch, witch. But we don't even realize that the, the Israelites, all of their festivals are pegged around the moon. Did you guys know that? The Feast of Passover is moon-related. The Feast of Pentecost is moon-related. The Feast of Tabernacles is moon-related. The Feast of Hanukkah is moon-related. Did you guys know that? They actually use the full moon to plan their festivals. But you didn't know that. Do you think the witches are crazy that on that particular day, they will plan this festival? There must be something they know. Because that particular sighting of the moon, there's a kind of energy that it makes available in the planet that they know how to harness. Is it good? No. Is it bad? No. It's just what it is. It depends on how you use it. They choose to use it for evil. The Israelites choose to use it for good. So it's not good. It's not bad. It's like fire. Fire can cook your food. It can burn your house down. So there are a lot of things about this world that we don't really know. And we're not quick to just disregard and say science knows where science does. Science is the most illiterate thing in the world. They're very illiterate. And that's why all their structures are coming. They, are, they created motor vehicles. Their motor vehicles are sinners. Should I t- do you want to, should I tell you why cars are sinners? If I tell you, your, your mind will be blown. Do you want to know how? Do you want to know how? Yes. Yes. Motor vehicles are supposed to be man's way of creating a better transport than camels, horses, etc. So they're trying to do something better than what God gave them. And there's nothing wrong with that because God wants us to improve on whatever it is that we have. But what God gave us, the horses, when we use the horse, when the horse poops, that poop goes into the soil and nourishes the soil and even makes the soil become even better. So the exhaust of an animal improves the planet. But the poop of our cars, which is the carbon monoxide, does it enrich the planet or does it diminish it? I'm asking. Are you guys getting my point? Does it enrich the planet or do it pollute it? The waste product of animals betters the planet. The waste product of what we created diminishes the planet. So it tells you that all our cars are sinners. They are disrespecting the laws of creation. Doesn't mean car is bad. No, it means the car they made was bad. Because had they been working truly with the Holy Spirit, they would have made vehicles that would give zero carbon emission and even increase the efficiency of the planet. So when we talk about we're advanced, we're very much advanced. Because look at the world, everywhere is dying. There's less, there's no food. They're not making food in labs that will guarantee genetic deficiency in the future. What is the advancement there? And we say the old men are fools. What are the ones that are foolish? And there's a lot to think about, but let's not go. That's a different conversation. Confidence. Good evening. I think I enjoy these sessions on this too much. Hmm. A, little, a little too much. Um, before the session started, I was reminiscing on that um, session in, in December of 2020, and I was looking at some of the, the funny posters we made. There was one that was 1,000 Ways to Die, Christian edition. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a bit and morbid. When I, was, I was thinking about it before the session started. I was to talk about why the people die. just burst into laughter because I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't know how to thank you enough um, for 
especially this kind of session. Some of the sessions cuddle us a little bit, you know, it's warm. But this kind of harsh and hard sessions are probably just as, if not more, beneficial for our growth, right? Even the seed, the seed, when it goes into the ground, it dies before it can germinate. Why do we not go around asking, why did the seed die? Because we have knowledge that the seed dies so that something better can come out. We don't question it, right? So it's clear that a part of us, the awakened part of our mind understands that if you, if you, have, if you have the right interpretation for death, it doesn't make you upset. But our sleep, the sleeping part of our, our, our minds refuses to acknowledge it when it manifests itself in other situations. So when you were speaking, I was I was question I was even asking myself, you know, such questions. And for, for quite a number of years, death, I feel sad about death, but death has lost a particular hold they used to have on me when I was much younger. Because when death happens now, the first question I ask is what is God trying to establish through this? Or what did this person do to invite this visitor? To his house because death is a visitor it does not come when you do not invite it honestly there was this movie i think i even mentioned it to you called sandman this series called sandman one of the siblings is called death and i remember the episode where death was moving around and you know she was going to be real. she would come to someone and immediately they re realize who she is they'd be like oh, no 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 wait let me do this let me do that and she's like no if I give everybody the chance to go and do some unfinished business, then I'm not doing my job. And I could see like, this is really just doing its job. It is not committing any crime. I don't know why we have this vendetta against death, right? But doesn't mean that we, we lose the sadness that can come. And I really, that's why it's so beautiful about the foundation you laid in the last session about grief. And that it's okay to grieve, but what is not okay is to label grief as what it is not. It's not good, it's not bad, it just is. It was one of the things you, you taught me some, uh, a while ago that really changed a lot of things for me. It's not good, it's not bad, it is. A tsunami is not evil, it just is. It's a force of nature. You cannot expect to come into the path of a tsunami and not be swept away. Who are you? You cannot go and you see you want to hike a mountain and when you get to the top, you're not panting. Who are you? You will pant because you have, there's an obstacle you have just climbed. And that obstacle was then thousands of years before you even thought of coming into existence. And so every time that we, 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 we question ourselves, we ask ourselves questions inside of us. I remember sometime today, I don't know if you, you I'm sure you have all these, like, these passive conversations with God in your mind. One question just pops up. And today, one of the pop questions that popped up was, if you did not need to eat, if you did not need a house, if you did not need clothes, what is the purpose of having a relationship? Like, what would you be doing with your life, right? Like, if when we move on from this particular age to another age, you don't need food, you don't need clothes, you don't need houses, you don't need cars, you don't need to earn money. What would you be doing? And I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh my God, I still want to do what I'm doing, but most of all, I think I would want to write. I write, want to write more. And immediately as I said that, I, I just felt the Holy Spirit telling me that that is why it is one of the oldest things that has survived till today, writing. Even, even the scriptures that we read, 
it is still that is because people and i was saying oh my god i would love to meet these people who wrote these scriptures but because we don't ask why i think that's one of the biggest problems we don't ask why we don't ask and we don't ask it not just asking why but we don't ask it from an informed place we don't ask it with genuine intentions there's something i started doing a few weeks ago a few months i think it was two months ago before i read the bible what i just when i'm praying i say god how to show me tell me your intentions what, what were you thinking about when you were inspiring this particular scripture what was in your mind i want to see your perspective i want to know why you even allowed this to happen show me your heart and ever since that day i will not lie to you scripture has become even more fulfilling more enjoyable more in inspiring just by asking why with the right heart with the right intention and so when someone dies and you're asking why but do you remember that time you told us about um, you told us about Job and why suffering, why people suffer? People suffer because there are two realities that are waging war, and you are refusing to acquiesce to one. And so there's a battle. That's why you feel sorrow. That's why you feel um, suffering. That's why you have suffering. So mm. yeah, I don't want to talk too much, but. I'm, I'm so happy, like this session, it always gives me joy when we talk about these things because these things are very, very important and they are just as important as joy. They're just as important as conversations on friendship. They're just as important as, as conversations on priesthood because that is what God has called us to, a full life. He doesn't want us to live in darkness. He doesn't want us to be blind to realities. These are things that should not shake us on a daily basis, but they shake us because a part of us has just become asleep to truths that are just live. If you look at nature, it is right there. The tree in front of my house, it is bearing fruits one minute, the next minute the fruits are decaying, next thing you know it's dying, and next thing you know fresh leaves are coming out, rain falls, and then it's dry for a long time, and then when it rains again, it's so heavy, everything is dying and everything is living. We're not asking why did the rain stop falling? We're not asking why did the sun go down today? It died, the sun died. But because we understand that the sun died so that it can come up somewhere else. We understand that, that interpretation has become alive in our minds, that's why we're not bothered. You know, so I'm, I, 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 can't, I can't even imagine what is coming next, but this session has really, really been amazing for me. I, my mind is, is churning so many thoughts, um, but I'm really, really grateful, thank you. Hallelujah. God bless you. <laughs> that was a good run. <laughs> indeed, 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 indeed. I think it's also good to say, you know, just like you mentioned at some point, how we don't become desensitized to things. You know, I mean, having a better understanding, having a better perspective, doesn't take away the pain of loss, you know? You feel the pain regardless, you feel the pain. And it's painful, but it helps you to interpret it. Knowing about the consequences of sexual immorality doesn't take away the pleasure. Sexual immorality is very pleasurable, but it helps you to properly interpret it. So that even in the midst of that pleasure that is real, you are still able to do what is right. 
And that pleasure does not lead you to sin. The same way with sorrows and pain. This loss, the pain is indescribable. But because of the counsel of God that is made available to you, that you're feeling this amount of pain does not mean that you make the mistake of creating future pain for yourself by letting the present pain cause you to sin. Sin will always bring pain. Always. Always. And the enemy always wants us to forget that. So he uses the pain of the present, which was created by the sin of the past, to make you sin in the present that will enable the pain of tomorrow. Hello, do you guys understand what I just said? Respond to me, please. Do you understand what I just said? Satan will use the pain of the present, which is a product of the sin of the past, to make you sin in the present, which will produce the pain of the future. Period. And that's how it is. It's not about not feeling the pain of death. It's about doing the right thing despite what you feel. Even if that right thing means you need to take some time away and actually process what you've been through and even seek the help because sometimes you might really need to seek help. Your feelings might be so tangled that you need someone who can come and help you untangle it and you need to talk to that someone for one year and there's nothing wrong with that because that's exactly what you want. Because you are so tangled, you cannot tangle yourself. The body heals itself on its own. But when the, the entanglement in the body gets so much, then we need external help in the form of medicine, in the form of doctors, in order to help the body do what only it can do. So there's that place. You know, what shall I repeat again? What shall I repeat again? What's it? Satan uses the pain of the present to do something yeah. to the pain of the past. Yes. Satan uses the pain of the present, which is a product of the sin of the past, to cause you to sin in the present, which will produce the pain of the future or the pain of tomorrow. Long and short, every pain we see in the world today is a product of sin. And God, Satan uses this product of sin to continue to make us to sin, to continue to produce the product of sin. And do you see the, the, the crazy cycle that goes on and on and on? It, it's a scam. It's like a pyramid scheme. It's, so, it's a scam. So when the pain comes, you tell you, ah, stop yourself from feeling this pain by doing this wrong thing. And you do it, bam, pain comes again in the next 10 years. When it comes again, ah, the pain has come. Stop yourself. For feeling this pain by doing this, bam, the pain comes again. And now one, you save yourself from pain in that moment. And now one comes in 10 years. Ah, pain has come again. <laughs> Do you guys, I, I intentionally repeated the same thing three times for you to see how ridiculous it is. <laughs> That's exactly how it is. Is it just so? Right? You want to self debt with another debt. <laughs> anyway. 
is not to make us to become insensitive or not to become numb to these things. We're actually meant to feel them even more. Christ feels your sorrow in a way that you can never comprehend, but he interprets it the right way, and that's why he can do the right thing for you. It's not about not feeling. It's about interpreting. You know, we have to be able to feel, especially the pains of others. Even if I didn't lose someone, knowing my brother is in this level of pain, even if I don't, I'm not, I, I, even if his pain is not a reality to me, or better said, if, even if what is hurting him is not a reality to me, what is real is this pain is going through. And sometimes we need to pause and acknowledge that, right? To your two-year-old, that chewing gum that was taken away is a big deal. And their tears are valid. Don't tell them, oh, can you, can you? No, 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 their tears are valid. And you have to find a different way to approach them in that moment. Because their tears are valid. Because a time will come where you also will cry for something that someone will look at like it's chewing gum. And you don't want them to treat it like that. Am I, am I, am I speaking to someone here? Yes. Am I speaking to someone here? You know? Question for all of us. Am I speaking to someone here? Are you all with me? So you don't necessarily have to understand exactly the sorrow. Or you don't, you don't need to understand the sorrow that they're going through. You just need to understand that they're going through sorrow and empathize with that and feel that, even if it doesn't make sense to you. But their pain makes sense if you, it's real and you empathize with that. And that's something to, to remember. Toby, question or comment? Question, actually. Ooh. Okay. Okay, let's go. Okay. So, um, um, I can very much relate to when you talking about how God is breaking down old structures and, you know, building new things. And then the very important thing that you said that stood out to me was how you can actually move on from the old honorably and peacefully without treating it with dishonor. So then my question now is, and then, okay, yes, you now talked about the fact that you know, sin is missing the mark, and then sin leads to death. Ah, you're following. So if you are saying that death, <laughs> so if you say that death is not particularly in that in that light, but then sin leads to death. It's almost as if death is the punishment for sin. So is it? I don't know if you get, get what I'm saying. It's like a contradiction, I don't know right? Where, where that's, Yes, as a bad thing because it is it comes as a result of sin, or it is it is not it is it is not necessarily bad in itself. But the fact that it is the end product of sin still makes me wonder if if it really is good or not good. I don't know. I don't know if you get what I mean. Yes, so that's my. I guess you very well. First of all, I recommend the teaching we had on karma. We talked about that a lot. I don't know if some of us remember how I explain that the negative consequences that we experience, that we experience when we break the law is part of the way the law actually helps us. The law that God has made in existence is for your survival and for your sustenance, whether you uphold it or whether you break it. The law is for you. It's good for you is best for you. You don't want to eat something that corrupts your body and your body doesn't teach you why you shouldn't eat that. 
it is good that you have diarrhea because now you learn how to use your body. Isn't it so? So in one hand, diarrhea is bad because it's a product of sin, but that can also flip and say diarrhea is good because it then teaches you not to sin. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to us? Yes. So the very salary you get from sin either convinces you to continue that labor or to abandon that labor. So it's bad, but it's also good. And I think in, I also teach on duality because that's something I've actually not taught about as a topic. I've only hinted at it in different ways and everything, but I'll teach about it, right? When I spoke earlier about how not to dishonor things of the past, and I gave an example of when I used to live wild and everything, when you don't dishonor it, Jesus Christ, that's why you could sit down with prostitutes and criminals because he didn't dishonor it. He did not, he wasn't afraid of it. He didn't look at it as something disgusting, right? He could be compassionate because he knows the alluring power of that life. He knows the sweetness of it, right? He, he, he knows why it is enticing. And because of that, he pities the people that are there because he, he knows that this thing is really sweet. But not all sweetness is good, but it's sweet, right? I remember the first time I tried cocaine. And I'm sure you're surprised. My God, El Shaka cocaine? What? Yeah, that once upon a time, right? I was like on cloud nine because I went drunk that day. And there was one girl that was there that was, I was always trying to form like hard gun. And she now said, okay, you're so tough. She now brought it out from my bag. Now, since you have been bragging, show that you are, you are a tough guy and sniff this. And trust me with my low self-esteem and no backbone, wanted to prove myself. And now, you know, sniffed it up and everything. And I was flying. But guess what? The cost of that was great. But there's a pleasure there that I can understand why people are bound to that. And instead of making it make me revile them is supposed to make me have even deeper compassion because I know what it's like to be under the, or under the captivating power of that narcotic, you see? And that's what happens when we move on from things without dishonoring them. You're not meant to dishonor anything in creation because everything in creation has use. Even cocaine has use. The fact that they, they, they adulterated the coca leaf by turning it into that nasty paste doesn't mean that God didn't make the coca leaf for use. In the ancient times, the coca leaf was one of the most useful medicinal um, um, herbs. Very useful. Even the poppy plant that is used to make um, heroin, very useful. The cannabis, very useful. Right? The fact that people use it for evil does not mean that it's evil on itself. and doesn't mean it should be demonized in its entirety. So God is waking us up, you know. But nevertheless, death is bad, but it's also good because death teaches you how to live. And last session, that's why I told you that if you live life conscious of the fact that whatever it is you have will eventually come to an end, that very awareness causes you to live a certain kind of way. Do you guys get my point? So death really teaches you how to live. And you know it when someone has six months to live. You see how they want to do everything. Because why? Why did you do that as well? So death actually teaches you how to live, right? Pain 
is the only reason why people have not messed up their bodies. Because if your body didn't feel pain when you step on nails, you have looked at nail in your leg as decoration and you have put like 100 under your feet. Am I lying? Some of us, even the pain is there, we have still pierced everywhere. Not saying there's anything wrong with piercing, but I'm just making a point, right? But ask yourself, as you have defaced your whole body, do you not know that there was a problem? Have you, first of all, asked God, what is the purpose of my skin before I change and alter whatever, whatever, whatever? Have you asked the purpose of it? Eh? Even a woman, even if she has, and I'll just speak very plainly, even if her breasts are very small, that she's just one A, and all she has are like nipples. If she gives birth to a child, it can still breastfeed the child. But because of vanity, you're not going to put silicone inside. Now, yes, your breasts look bigger, but you cannot help another life. Then the actual use of the breast is gone. Do you guys get my point? Does anyone get my point? Was that too real? Was it too real? Am I talking to someone here? Hello? Hi. It's reality. It's the reality. Everything was made for a reason, right? Everything has its use. But we abandoned the... He's even talking about it in Romans 1, that people abandoned the natural use of, of, of the opposite sex and then turn to homosexuality. They abandoned the use of the man. They abandoned the use of the woman in the name of vanity. And then they end up creating HIV AIDS. From research, it's shown that HIV is more prominent in the homosexual male community than it is anywhere else, telling you that it's there it came from. Or do you expect? How can a penis go into a place where waste is supposed to come out from? Why wouldn't you be sick? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? It's the truth. Why won't illness come when they sin? That place is not an entrance, it's an exit. So when you put something in a place where it's supposed to be an exit, why are you surprised when death is all that comes out? Whether it's death in the form of HIV or gonorrhea or syphilis or whatever, death must come because of inaccuracy, because of missing the mark, because of sin. Again, these conversations are foundational and we'll use it, we'll use it as We'll use it as a building block for other things to come that we'll expound on even more. But for now, let it just be said, right? That death exists in the world today. Corruption exists in the world today. Decay exists in the world today because of sin, because of inaccuracy because of missing the mark. If we ate well, we won't have cancers. We miss the mark with our nutrition. If we worked out well, our body will not atrophy and our organs will not have failure because we miss the mark with the necessary exercise for our bodies. Our marriages will not end if we, if we didn't miss the mark on how to treat and talk to the spouse. All death, all suffering, all decay exists in the world because we miss the mark in everything. But as we go forward, we'll unpack this even more in other teachings, other whatever. But this is like a foundation that I want to lay today. So, Bonale, I know your hand is raised, but I would defer your question to when I finish the second point, where I want to try to unpack in just a short while. Are you guys ready with me? Are you ready for me? Are you ready for the second point of the evening? 
The second point, just like the first point, is a question. And the question is, who is it that dies? Mm. There's so many dimensions to this conversation that I am seated here now asking the Holy Spirit exactly how do you want me to engage this? What angle do you want me to come from? How? Who is it that dies? What am I saying now might, it will burst bubbles. It will burst a lot of bubbles. It will burst a lot of bubbles. Are you guys ready? Are you guys ready? Are you guys ready? You say you're ready until it comes out then and you wish that you, I didn't say it. But again, I don't just make outrageous things. I also bring out scripture and I don't just bring out scripture. I really teach it that you see for yourself. Even if you've not had your own first-hand spiritual experience of these things, God has helped me to bring it down to a level that can help you get a close enough understanding. The book of Jeremiah chapter 1 says, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. There was an existence that you had before you were fetus in your mother's womb because fetus is an identity that was ascribed upon you when you entered your mother's womb. But before that identity, I knew you. You had existence. And you had an identity. You were only called fetus because you were put inside of a physical body. Before your mother gave birth to you and you were known as son, you had existence. You had an identity. And I knew you. Before you were called Jeremiah, you had an existence. You had an identity. And I knew you. Before you were someone's brother, before you were someone's friend, before you were someone's father or mother, you had an existence. You had an identity. And I knew you. All those identities are temporary and they depend on other temporary identities to exist. Because for you to be a brother, you're only a brother because you have someone who is your brother, who is also a brother because they have you who is your brother, and both of you are temporary. So it means that that identity as brother is an illusion. Do you guys get my point? Do you guys get my point? A doctor is not an eternal identity because a doctor, or better said, the identity of a doctor is dependent on the identity of someone who is sick. And sickness is not indefinite, which means that being a doctor is also not indefinite. Both are temporary identities 
that only arise as a result of circumstance or situation, and they also die as a result of circumstance or situation. They are not eternal things. Egwono was born in wherever she was born in. Because of where she was born, she believed that pink is for girls and blue is for boys. She believed that a woman should walk this way. A woman was made skirt and a man was made trouser because of where she was born. She, was, she, was, she believes that women wear earrings and men don't because of where she was born. She believes that, uh, what else can I say? That football is for guys and uh, whatever is for girls because of where she was born. She doesn't like this certain kind of people because of how this certain kind of person treated her when she was 12. She's attracted to this certain kind of man because of, well, what her mom told her is a good man, what society told her is a good man, what TV told her. Everything about you, if you reflect, not everything, but most of what is about you is actually pegged to temporary things. Nothing eternal. Even the personality that you have developed, even you as a mother, these are all temporary identities that are not eternal. They were born in time. They are only useful in time. And they die in time. Even the personality that you have now is not the personalities you had, you had 10 years ago. Because personalities are things that we create. And when you start to gain a certain level, I won't say a certain level of wisdom, but Wisdom teaches you how to create personalities. You need to have multiple personalities. A personality is like a coat that you wear in different seasons. If I'm in the room with old people, I cannot wear the coat that I wear with my friends. Do you guys get my point? How can you be with elderly men and they say something funny and you push their head, <laughs> daddy or uncle, <laughs> you're funny. Do you guys get my point? Do you guys get my point? It, it's, not, it's not that you're inauthentic. That coat cannot function in that weather. It will be sinful. And the consequence will show you. How can you be with old men and push the <laughs> You know what is coming next stuff. Or you get so excited with your elder. Like you say, shut up your mouth. In, because the, you, you were having a heated debate. You say, shut up to your father. Simply because you had a heated disagreement. You're not telling him, shut up. Are you getting my point? You have to have a different personality for the different rooms that you enter into. And you have to learn how to create these personalities that are useful in different rooms. As a matter of fact, the, the name personality or the word personality is gotten from the Greek word called persona. And persona is the name that they give to masks that actors wore on stage when they want to represent another person. And those days when they made plays, they made plays to represent maybe things that were happening in the kingdom, maybe something the king did, they not turn into a comedy, or maybe they want to represent some folklore or some fable or something like that. They now wear the masks. A personality is a mask. It's not really who you are. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Jeremiah is also a personality. And he was a wailing prophet because, who can tell me? He was a wailing prophet because, who can tell me? Let me see who is intuitive here. Jeremiah was a wailing prophet because, who can tell me? 
Because of his experiences. Yes, because of exper experiences of what? What did he experience that caused him to wail, to make a whole book of lamentations? What was he lamenting about? Sorry. Israel's Sorry. sin. Yes, Israel's disobedience. You see, he was sorrowful because of Israel's disobedience. Is Israel's disobedience an eternal or a temporary thing? I'm asking. Is it an eternal or temporary thing? So is Ezekiel and is Jeremiah's identity as a wailing prophet an eternal thing? Or if I even just Christ said that in that day when you know the Holy Spirit, you will not need any teacher because he will teach you all things. Teachers are only needed because of people who need to be taught. So the identity of a teacher and a student is temporary. They are not eternal. It's only a bad thing if you are fraudulent and if you don't use it the right way. I'm here with you guys, but if I have children, I can't talk to them like this. It's wrong. Isn't it so? There's some things you can't tell to a child because their minds are not fortified enough to handle it without breaking. Doesn't mean you are inauthentic. It means that you are recognizing the weather that you are in and you're putting on the right coat. So children are a different weather. Teenagers are a different weather. When I'm with teenagers, I'm different. To be honest, to be honest, when I will be teens, I'm even much more crude because they think I won't go there. I will go there and they'll be shocked when I won't use their words. <laughs> they'll be so surprised. When I catch teenagers, they, they can't leave my hand. <laughs> there are some who are here that can testify. <laughs> They cannot leave my hand <laughs> because I will say what you think will not be said and I will bring it out in a way that will blow your mind open because you think that, oh, I'm so holy, I'm so sanctimonious that I won't go there. <laughs> that day you think I won't go is just the beginning. <laughs> I'm going all the way, bro. <laughs> I remember I was speaking with one teenage boy and he was preaching to me and speaking, 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 speaking a lot of English, quoting Bible and everything. And I told him at the end of the day, my brother, if all these your scriptures cannot deliver you from the addiction to that moment when your eyes roll back from the orgasm from the porn you watched, it doesn't mean anything. The boy was cold. <laughs> I never forget that day. The boy was cold. He <laughs> was cold. He flew. You didn't see it come. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't see it coming it blew his mind open and that's what i wanted because he had strong walls i needed to tear it down with the right words and as i said that he was weak he became like clay that i could then move he could not listen because before then he was talking scripture about this and that i broke his head open <laughs> 
<laughs> and Jesus Christ who broke Mary Magdalene's head open with the love he gave to her. So you have to know different ways to break heads. It's not always the same way. He broke Mary Magdalene's head. Her head was open. To, it was open that he could not deposit what he wanted. But there are different ways. The Pharisees, he broke their heads with those harsh things he said. You have to know how which one is necessary. So in different rooms, you must have different personalities. You must. You must. I know what God has placed in my hand. I know the knowledge, the wisdom that he has put in my hand. I know what he has made me a custodian of. That if I carry myself in a certain kind of way, I myself will become an obstacle to what he has given to me for the nations. And I will be held accountable to it. If I just come to my social media, I just talk like a fool, talk anyhow, and become the reason why the message in my hand is rejected, God must deal with me. Are you understanding? It's not that I'm proud. But in the way I carry myself, I have to make sure that the prestige of what I am a custodian of is not lost. Do you get what I'm saying? I must make sure I don't bring dishonor to what, has, to what God has put in my hands. Because the way we carry ourselves, we invite dishonor to... As a matter of fact, that's what the church has done. The way they have carried themselves, they have invited dishonor to the name of God. So there's a way I must carry myself. It's not that I'm proud. I'm not proud but I must carry myself with a certain kind of dignity and honor that when you see me, when I speak, you will take it seriously. Not because you need to take me seriously, but you need to take what I'm saying seriously. You need it, not me, you. And if I become a fool and make you disrespect what you need, God will flog me before I will flog you. So because of that, I can't act like a fool. I can't talk anyhow. There are some ways I can't behave. Even if I joke, my joke has to have a definitive end point. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? I can't talk loosely. Because if I talk loosely, trust to be lost. And it's not because I need to be trusted, but I need to be trusted so that what I have to give will be received. So I have to be a trustworthy person, not for me, but because of what I'm carrying that people need to receive. Is anyone understanding me? Do you guys get what I'm saying? God bless you, T.Y. Fash. T.Y. Fash just said, may I not be the reason the message in my hand is rejected. So I'll just pray that prayer over yourself. In the name of Jesus. May I not be the reason why the message in my hand is rejected. Many people, that's why the message is rejected. It's not them. And they are quick to quote scriptures. Oh, we all suffer persecution. No, it's your foolishness. That has brought persecution to you. It's your foolishness. Don't blame God. Are you guys with me? Personality is what we create in time. It is born in time, it dies in time. If you watch videos from 100 years ago, don't you see how the personality was different? Haven't you seen how people talk differently? They had different body gestures, different mannerisms. Don't you see that? Even their voice was different. Even their faces was different. Have you seen all those old pictures of Africans 100 years ago? Do you see that it was different? Do you see that it was different? 
Because all those things are products of a geographical location, psychological location, and time. No matter what you say, you are a product of the physical location you were born in, the psychological location you were born in, and the time you were born in. All these are climates that you as a tree have grown in. You cannot be separated from your climate. Even as a father, you have, it's because of the climate of your child that made you a father. So before that child came, there's an identity that you have. Even whoever you have to become because of that child, it's still temporary. And that's the pain most people face because now the identity I adopted for a toddler, I don't know how to put it away when the child is now an adolescent. And then I sin again because I'm treating a 25-year-old like a child. I spoke with one lovely woman a few months ago, and she was telling us about how she made a mistake with her first son. Anytime he goes outside, they will stop him from touching anything. They will let him fall down. They will let him pick up anything. They protected him from all the elements of nature. And the boy grew up with all kinds of allergies because they did not allow his body face the challenge of bacteria and develop natural immunity. They protected him from all the elements. And in protecting him from all the elements, they made him vulnerable to all the elements. She said she learned her lesson. And when she had the next child, she... <laughs> That boy ate sand to me. <laughs> of course not eat sand, but you get my point, right? She was not as protective. Because even right there and then, apple fell on the floor. She picked around, let him eat it. Eat the apple that fell down. Will you die? Your forefathers that were eating apple food, did they die? Some of them were picking about the mothers even we buried in the ground. Did they die? Why is it, oh, this is... <laughs> Do you guys get my point? All the personas that we have created for the different climates we find ourselves in are born in those climates and they die in those climates. I'm going deeper. I'm just pacing it. And it might not even, not even unpack everything tonight. I'm going somewhere. But if I build like this, when I get that somewhere, it won't hit you as hard because I've already laid too many blocks. So... If I take you to level 99, because I've built 98 levels, you don't fall all the way to level one. You fall to 98 and then you're okay. But if I just drop the bombshell, bam, I take you to 99, but I don't build the 98 steps, your fall will be too large that your head will break open and you have to leave this call. So you must build steps so that when they fall, when you reach for the stars, you land on the cloud. You don't fall back down to the earth. So personalities, all these things are created in time and they die in time. But it's what we call the eternal identity. The eternal identity that you discover, find, and own in God that can never die. And there are very few who enter into that identity upon the earth. Jesus was one of them. That's why when he entered that identity of who he was in God, he stood on the hill and he was teaching. And they said his mother came. And Jesus, your mom is here to see you with your brothers. And he said to them, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? They are the ones who do the will of my father. He had lost that identity as the son of a fleshly woman. He had entered into something more eternal. Something more lasting. 
Because the moment she dies, he's no longer his son. But is God ever going to die? He had pegged himself to something more eternal. For those of us who know about finances, we understand how currencies peg themselves to one another. You don't want to peg your currency to something unstable. So you want to peg it to a stable currency so that if it, I mean, you know that it won't drop anyhow. So a lot of, a lot of currencies are pegged to the dollar because they know the dollar is a stable currency. But most of our identities are pegged to temporary things. When people die, that is, when your physical body dies, the personalities that were created in the lifetime of that physical body dies. If you didn't enter your eternal identity upon the earth as an eternal being, conscious of your, of your, of your, your jurisdiction and position in God, this identity of my son, Emeka, my sister, all those things, they fade away because all these things are products of time. People don't know this. So when I get to heaven, I'll see my father. Your father exists, but your father doesn't exist because your father never really existed. It was just an identity that was created in time for a particular purpose. Because before he was your father, he was something else. And all these temporary identities melt away. When they talk about the just men made perfect and the ones who still have consciousness and awareness, even long after they have died, in the spirit is because they had entered into their eternal identity in God, their eternal consciousness. It's a deep teaching. I'll teach it much later. I'm just introducing us to it. At that time, I'll unpack it even more. But the outer garment of flesh had become swallowed up by the heavenly garment of spirit, not just physically, but spiritually and psychologically. And yes, once upon a time, I might have put on the persona of someone's father, mother, and I can still put it on, but I am beyond that. I am beyond it. I am beyond it. It's much deeper than I'm saying now. And I can talk about real experiences that I've had in the spirit, but the Holy Spirit is not releasing it for me now because... He wants me to speak in ways that are provable, at least. Yes, Timidai, the eternal personality. Everyone has an eternal personality. When Jesus Christ said, in my father's house are many mansions, each mansion represents a particular position reserved for you in God a name, a role, a function in God that is eternal. And that eternal role can express itself through many places. And in some way or form, when the wise men choose vocations for children, they do it based on 
the eternal rules that they have seen in them. When you say, I am a builder, God help me to explain this. God help me to explain this. God help me to explain this. Before the vocation of medicine manifests as medicine, it first of all ex exists as the spirit of compassion. Do you guys understand when I say that? The spirit of medicine is compassion, is help, is a desire to preserve and sustain life. Do you believe that much? If a child does not have those inclinations, those deep inclinations to preserve life, to put it together at five, six, you'll be a fool to begin to push them to medicine because that's, that's not their vocation, at least on an internal spectrum. Are you guys getting my point? This is how the wise men pick vocations for people. Looking at them from childhood, they can see what they gravitate more to. Yes, Egono archetypes, but I didn't use that word because I know there are some people here who are not part of those other classes. So I don't want to confuse people with the word archetype because if you've never heard the word before, you'll be confused if I don't say it right now. Right? So you, you can understand the difficulty I face sometimes when I'm trying to teach. When to teach some things, there are some other things that need to be taught first. So you can understand how tough my position is right now. Because what I'm teaching, there are many other things that need to be taught before this can actually be taught very well. But in time, we'll teach them. Nevertheless, before the, 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 the vocation of medicine manifests as doctor, nurse, etc., it exists as a spirit of compassion. And that spirit of compassion manifests as doctor. And it could be any kind of doctor. It could be doctor for the physical body. It could be doctor as counselor. Do you get my point? You observe the child. You see, ah, this person, this is what they like. So this person likes to talk a lot. This person likes engagement. Now, when you start to see how they are, you start to push them towards what is already, what push them towards what relates to who they are from inside out. So that they end up with a vocation that corresponds with their inner man. And then that inner man will be able to express himself in a great way, even if the person doesn't encounter God, even if, when you say a person is a genius, it simply means that they have been put in their right field. Even if they never encounter God in an unconscious way, that energy flows and whatever they do, they'll be proficient because they're in the right place, whether they knew it or not. But it's even much greater if you are conscious. Beethoven was one of the greatest prophets that rose in hundred years. But people don't know it. Because anyway, I don't want to go too much into that. This man was deaf. He was deaf when he wrote all those symphonies. Did you know that? He was deaf. He didn't have ability to hear when he made all those songs, when he wrote them. He encountered them in the spirit. And in the spirit, he remembered the melodies he wrote and he remembered the scores of the melodies he heard in the spirit and wrote them down when he woke up in the physical. For people who don't know this, Mozart was saying, they heard sounds in the spirit. And when they woke up, they retained the full memory of all those melodies. And they begin to transcribe it into the musical language. 
After they transcribed it to musical language, they interpreted it to the piano, to the violin, to the cello, to the drum, etc., etc., etc. You think Michelangelo was not a prophet? You think his sculptures are not holy books? Are you kidding? Einstein was one of those who was in the right vocation, but he was not fully conscious of God. But nevertheless, because he was aligned, that energy will still flow. And even without him knowing God, there were just some things. Look at Jonathan Peterson. He's not a deep Christian, but he can't help to just say everything that God is saying, even if he's not really a deep Christian, because there's an alignment that has happened. Once the alignment happens, that energy just flows seamlessly, whether you know it or not. It just comes out of you, whether you know it or not. I was 18 years old, just driving my car in the evening. From nowhere, I felt the rushing wind blow my head. The next thing I started speaking in tongues from nowhere. I was so afraid I was going to bash my car because I couldn't. I was shouting in tongues. All of a sudden, I started hearing in my heart, I am your father. Today, I've come to claim you. He started talking to me about my history, about my bloodline, about my ancestry, about the world, about the transition that is coming, about what he's trying to do in the church. He was telling me all this from the first day. How did that happen? Part of what contributed to that was that I was put in a Christian home that from childhood they had already deposited a lot of scriptures in me that already made it easy for that energy to burst out. Are you understanding? So before God came, all the memory verses that I was reciting every day from growing up in primary school, all the times I was in choir in, 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 in my teen years, going to Sunday school every Sunday, it was living, making a residual impact within me. That at the time that the spark of God was going to be ignited in my soul, there was already a lot of wood prepared that the bonfire was inevitable because of an alignment. Whether I knew it or not, the matter, that was the reality regardless. You know? So, nevertheless, Everyone has an eternal identity, an eternal vocation. And it's very deep. It is associated with the 12 tribes. That's the closest way I can I talk about it. When you talk about the 12 tribes, you see how all those tribes represent different functions, rules in the kingdom of God. It's related to that. Many people have different ways of explaining it in the Jewish, in the Jewish um, and Christian worldview. The 12 tribes are the best way to talk about it. The different vocations. Some are farmers, some are, are seers, some are warriors, and they, are, they all function in their different jurisdictions. And whatever occupation they put on, they still do that same thing. Even if you're a footballer, yes, I'm a footballer, but as a footballer, I'm an activist because deep inside of you, there's a warrior. So I can't just play football. My football must say something. And you know those that are there, that even though they are footballers, in them is the spirit of war. In basketball, in them is the spirit of war, and they always transcend the sport because, in some way, they have come in contact with that identity within themselves. It cannot be contained. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? I'm speaking about it in a very shallow way. It's not even deep now. It's not even deep. I'm still very shallow. But this can help us to understand it in a very basic level. But once you start to know your identity, 
for me, my name is not just a name. It's also a role, a function, a jurisdiction that I have in God. That is deeply associated. Should I say it exactly as it is in spirit? Or should I transcribe it to simple words? How do you want it? Should I tell you it in, in the raw form and then break it down or break it down and then tell you the raw? My identity is associated with bloodshed. With bloodshed. The dimension of God that I have actually came from is represented by the color red. Is destructive. It, 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 it is violent. Is violent. And that's why sometimes when I'm speaking, you see that red is bloodshed. But what does it kill? It kills the corruption in man. And that's what I came for, for war. I came for war. Whether I'm laughing, whether I'm teaching, whether I'm writing, whatever it is that is being done, it is killing something in the person who is receiving it and causing something else to come alive. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Are you understanding what I'm saying? In the Bible, the word used for God's anger or one of the words is a Hebrew word, chema, chema. And chema literally means the poison of a serpent. Venom of a serpent. Because God's wrath is equated to the snake venom that kills the old man in you. It bites your neck and murders it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you can feel the heat already <laughs> because it does that moment I open the gate and you felt the energy so your, your body's cold <laughs> it's a vocation it's a vocation and one who has that vocation, more than anything, God will teach you how to build. And that's why God shut me up for a particular time to learn how to build. Because all I knew how to do was destroy. And if I enter anywhere, I will destroy. I will destroy. I will destroy. I will destroy your worldview. I will destroy your concept of God. I will destroy your doctrine. I will destroy or destroy. And I will leave you destroyed. And I don't build anything. And that's how I was in the beginning. Because I only knew how to destroy. And there are some who are builders. But you build, 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 but you're so weak. You don't know how to tear down. You don't want to hurt people's feelings. And then you build tears with wits. And the end, everything you do ends up becoming corrupted. Like living that corrupts the bunch. Because you know how to build, 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 but you don't know how to tear down. So God will counterbalance you by teaching you how to tear down. It's much deeper than what I'm saying, right? I'm just trying to give you a small, a, a little understanding. It's much deeper. 
is much deeper. Is much deeper because the truth is that no matter the, the, the jurisdiction that you have, everyone still has the same thing in themselves, but each one functions differently, right? Every son of God must be a builder. Every son of God must be a destroyer. Every son of God must be, they are different. I won't talk about all those things today because a lot of foundations has to be laid and it might sound too outlandish. But there's an eternal identity that we have in God. That, that eternal life only comes to be when our life has become pegged with that life that has no beginning or end. That is when we live eternally. It's not about you living eternally as Timidio because Timidio is flawed. So how can Timidio ever be an eternal identity when it is a flawed identity? Do you get my point? Do you guys get my point? Timidio must die no matter what because Timidio is not forever useful. Timidio is not forever useful. Even if you attain your eternal identity, and you function as Timidio, it's a time where you must not function as Timidio. And if you do, it will be seen. But every one of us has that eternal identity. That is what does not perish. And many people have not even attained that, and they died without even attaining that. It's very deep. I don't think I'll go so much into it because to take us into deeply mystical conversations, you know. But, but people go into the other world and then they conjure the spirits of the departed and they talk to them and they think they are talking to the actual person that died, but they don't know. And what they are talking to is the personality that they created, which still lingers in the atmosphere, even after you, the soul, has gone. The personality that was created out of the fabric of this world, still lingers. Some of them linger with some kind of supernatural power. That's why they can even torment someone 10 years after the person has died. They have a personality that has absorbed witchcraft powers that can still express rage and bitterness to an enemy long after the person has gone. And they say, oh my God, even after death, this person is still tormenting me. No, they're not tormenting you. It's the personality they created that is tormenting you. And that personality has now become a demon. But these are much deeper conversations that I didn't really plan to really go into today. I didn't, I didn't know how I even got to. This is not what I was trying to talk about. Long and short, there's a part of man that doesn't ever die, that doesn't ever end because it never began. It always was. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. That part of us that is known by God, even before we're known by anything at all, it existed. It was. That is who God wants to make us to become aware of. And when I become aware of that that I am, even before I was anything at all, I can still be Timidayo. But at the same time, I'm not Timidayo. Because Jesus Christ was the son of Mary, 
but it was not the son of Mary. And if you see how he was talking, it was as if he was always contradicting himself because one part is God, one part is man, one part is God, one part is man. And he sure was both. He really was both. And he could use both comfortably. He could abandon his eternal identity and he could pick it up again whenever he wanted to. He could abandon his temporary identity and he could also pick it up. Yes, on a physical level, he was a Jew, but on an eternal level, the Jews, <laughs> they began how many years ago? So God can never be Jewish because God existed before the first Hebrew. Isn't it so? True or false, I'm asking. True or false? True or false? God existed before the first Hebrew. Abraham was the first Hebrew. Noah knew God before Abraham was born. Melchizedek knew God. Enoch knew God before Abraham was born. So God is not Hebrew. God is not bound to the Jewish race. He can put on the garment of the Jewish race, but don't get confused and think that that is his eternal identity. In heaven, all those things that cast down. Even English, Yoruba, Greek, all these things are cast down because they were made in time and they will die in time. There's something that is much more eternal, that is longer lasting. Longer lasting. So we are so quick to hold on to people as we knew them, even, even if they are alive. That person you're holding on to will change. If you're married to someone, there's a, there's a practice you must do. At least once every year, you need to pause and ask yourself, who am I married to? Because every year comes with its own climate, with its own challenges, with its own benefits. And in each one of those climates, there is something that you become. And you have to keep up with that. Not just for your spouse or your friend, but even for yourself. Because who you are in 2022 is different from who you were in 2021. And you need to keep up with that. Because it's changing. And if you try and grasp onto Temidario in COVID, or grasp onto Jefferson in COVID, even when COVID has passed, you realize that everything is habel. All is fleeting and passing away, including your personalities. It all passes away. It all passes away. It all passes away. It all passes away. The things you know, the things you are, can only become eternal when they are pegged to your eternal consciousness in God not your temporal consciousness. That's why you have some people who naturally are kind. Naturally, they can't help it because kindness is, is so deep in them. It does not depend on circumstances. It does not depend on time. It does not depend on what you say or what you do. It is now eternal. 
It has entered into something else. It's no longer pegged to something temporary. It's not pegged to something eternal. You can't take it from me anymore. That's why the Bible talks about how store your riches in heaven, not on earth. Peg all these things in heaven. Then it can't be torn down. It can't be taken away. Because all these other things are temporary. So who dies? Not you. But if you think you are Oshin, or if you think you are Deshawa, then you're going to die, believe me. <laughs> you die even before your body dies. Because Adeshawa of 2018 is not Adeshawa of 2022. Believe me that. Adeshawa, am I lying? Am I lying? As a matter of fact, for example, in India, when two people get married, both of them change their names. Because the moment you marry someone, you are not the same person. So the change of name is actually a reflection of the fact that you are no longer the same person. And in fact, I think it's a beautiful tradition. Because I got married, for example, and people still think I'm the same person. I'm, I'm very different. My sense of responsibility is different. My time availability is different. So maybe I need to help you to know that difference by actually taking on a new name. So that every time you call me something that you are not used to, it reminds you that this is a new person because I am different. So what you call Andrea in the next two weeks will change for sure. This conversation that you are part of today will change something in you. Something is going to die tonight. Something else will be born in its stead. And that's the reality of life. What is eternal are those attributes that are rooted in your heavenly identity. In your heavenly identity. It's a whole teaching, and I'm just repeating it because there's only so much I can say when I've not talked about some other things first. Your heavenly identity. Your heavenly identity. So what dies? All these temporary things. All these temporary things. Because eternal things can never die. Your anger will die. Your fake love will die. Your lust will die. Because it's not really real. They're not eternal. They're not pure. Only pure things can last. Only pure things can endure. So if you think your dad who died, you'll find him in heaven with the same temper he had upon the earth. Does that even make sense? No, think about it. Anger is a product of corruption, something that is temporary. How can that exist eternally when that very thing itself, its very infrastructure cannot sustain life? Even anger cannot sustain itself. Anger gets tired of being angry. Is it a lie? Don't you get angry to the point that you're not tired? You can't get angry anymore. Because it's not an eternal quality. It burns itself out. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? I can see we're very quiet. I hope we're understanding. 
The only thing that dies are the things that can die. And if something that if something can die, then it should die because it was meant to die. To give room for the things that can live to live. If you build a house that can tumble when rain comes, it's good because that house was never meant to stand because the very infrastructure was faulty. So when it fell, it was a good thing, not a bad thing because it was never going to be able to stand. Either way. And that's something to really think about. That's something to really think about. And I know we start to bring up so many stories in the Bible. What about Abraham? Abraham's bosom and this and that. All those parables. Parables. If you remember that parable, Abraham's bosom, there was a rich man who had all the food and he allowed Lazarus to be hungry on the outside. Who are the ones that had all the food? The Pharisees. Who are the ones that were on the outside? The Gentiles. And they treated him very badly and did this and did that and did that. And the same way Abraham welcomed the, 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 the beggar and licked and cleaned his wounds. In the same way God took the Gentiles in. That's what he was teaching with that parable. Exactly what was about to happen to them. You who had all the food, you had the bread from heaven, you had all the prophets, you had all the teachers, your table was full. Still, you missed your way. I will take away your lot and give it to the strangers and they will inherit your life. That's what happened. People take that and start to interpret it as talking about... Anyway, the, the, the conversation of life after death is a very deep one. It's very, very deep. And uh, no matter what you even say, you know, still, unless you're able to verify it for yourself and actually learn how to investigate all these things, in the realm of the spirit yourself, whatever one says is just conjecture and speculation. It doesn't mean much in the grand scheme of things. As of this point in time, the only thing that can be said is what can encourage us to do right, right now. Everything else will just be story and intellectual stimulation and it doesn't really bring forth life. But one thing is for sure, one thing is for sure, the only thing that dies is the only thing that was born. The body was born, it must die. The personality was born, it must die. The identity was born, it must die. You're not eternally a father. You're not eternally a mother. You're not eternally a son in respect to your physicality. You're not eternally a teacher. You're not eternally a doctor. So what makes you think that when one transitions to the other side, they continue as that? No. It's still much deeper than that, you know. Because the realm of the spirit, you're going to find all kinds of personalities. You're going to find people who have all the memories of everything. But yeah, because have you ever had an experience where it's very deep? I don't know if you understand it, but I'll try and explain it. Do you realize that in the different rooms where you have different personalities, Every one of those personalities have their own unique memories and behavioral patterns and 
they have their own uniqueness, their own memories. Let me use what memories. That once you enter a room with old people, all of a sudden you remember how to bend your head, how to do your leg, how to speak with a low voice. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? All those memories come immediately. You put on that personality. Do you guys understand that? In the same way, when one's physical body dies and those personalities begin to roam in space, that's how you can contact it and the thing will tell you all the memories of the person's life. Yeah, because you are encountering a personality, not the soul. Not the soul. Well, that's too deep. I don't want to go into all that today. I don't want to go into all that today. But who is it that dies? It's not you. You never die because you were never born. You have always been. You are actually a portion, a piece of God that has put on different garments in different seasons and times and different manifestations. You are actually a piece of God. Not Timidayo. Timidayo is what that piece of God used to interact with the world. Timidayo is like your Instagram account that you used to function in the world of Instagram. Timidayo is like a Google Chrome that you used to function in the web space. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Timidayo is a space suit that you used to function in outer space. It's an avatar. It's not you. It's what you put on. It's what you use. And it fades away with its use. But it's that which it, that, that exists beyond use. That exists. That's why God called himself, I will be what I will be. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a healer. I'm not a doctor. But if I need to be one, I will be one. If I need to be a doctor, I will be one. If I need to be a teacher, I will be one. If I need to be a father, I will be one. Because I am. I am. Am I a cat? Yes. Am I a cat? No. Why? I am. I hope I haven't lost you guys. I hope I haven't lost you guys. I hope I haven't lost you guys today. This second half was more, it was a more abstract teaching. I'm aware. So it's, if anyone was lost, I would understand. It was more abstract. Well, well, um, well thank God you guys are you following. Awesome. That's great. Awesome. So we need to understand that no one really dies. Right? No one really dies. Not really. And that's something to know. But the personalities that were made in time also die in time. And even before the people around us pass away physically, we will see how all those things actually die. You've seen in your lifetime many different use because each came into manifestation as a result of the various needs of its time. And the same way it was born because of a need or because of the presence of a need is the same way it dies because of the absence of need. What's the longer short of what I'm saying? Don't grasp too much. And don't be so quick to let go 
is that balance in between of enjoying things and using them to the maximum in the present moment without being too attached, without being too detached, enjoying things and using them in the present moment. Enjoy the people that are in front of you. As of now, enjoy it. But don't grasp onto it too much because it will pass. Mothers know what I'm saying. Once they had their first child, something changed in them. Something changed. It just changed. And they were not the same. The first people to recognize that were their husbands, then their friends, that something was different. They, it, it just changed. They're not the same anymore. Same thing with fathers. Something changed. I might be young, but I'm very much older than a lot of people who are my mates simply because of the environment that I've been exposed to. When I sit down through my age, we're miles apart. And I'm like, wow. And they two are like, wow. Because we're worlds apart. Because we don't live in the same dimensions, literally. And we're always a product of the dimension that we exist in. When I say dimension, I'm not speaking of third dimension, fourth dimension. When I mean dimension, for example, this room here is a dimension. A dimension is an enclosed space that can be measured from one point to another, right? Christianity is a dimension. Architectural field is a dimension, etc., etc. Marriage is a dimension. Fatherhood is a dimension, etc., etc. So the dimensions that I live and exist in are different from the ones that live and exist in. And so everything is fleeting, but only the things that are temporary, there's always something that remains. And that is what we always want to look for, the eternal principle in everything. I might not always be able to share ice cream, but I will always be able to share. The eternal principle is that spirit of generosity. Today is 100,000. Tomorrow, if 100,000 is not present, it could be my counsel. But if I'm too attached to the 100,000 I shared yesterday, and I don't peg myself to the eternal principle of generosity, I won't see what I'm able to share, even in what I consider to be little. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Generosity is eternal. Being generous with your food is not eternal. You won't always have food to share, but you will always have something to share. You want to peg yourself to that eternal principle. Do you not see how I've not brought it down to a way that is now tangible? I'm sure some of you are like, oh, wow, finally, I get it now. <laughs> How many of you feel that way? <laughs> How many of you feel that way that, oh, finally, it's making some sense now, right? The spirit of generosity is eternal. That's an eternal principle. I can say that's an eternal identity. This is just me, just speaking in a general sense, generosity. But it won't always be with your time. You might not have time to give, but you might have money to give. You might have a person that you can send to represent you to give. You might have knowledge that you can give. You will always have something to give, but you will not, you will not always have the same thing to give.
you will always exist, but you will not always exist as Yusuf, Yusuf or the Yusuf that you know. Because the Yusuf that you know is not eternal, it's temporary, it's a product of time. You want to get in contact with those eternal values, those eternal principles that exist deep, deep inside of you. Deep love that is beyond the way you know love to be now. Deep love that is not pegged to time or circumstance or person or behavior. Love that is. When you have love that is, you don't need someone. That's why just Christ said, of what profit is it, is it if you love those who love you? Anyone can do this. Doesn't mean anything. So he's talking about the love that is eternal. That's, it. That's what you can call an eternal identity of love that you become that doesn't, his existence is not pegged on people's favors or disfavors. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? His existence is not pegged. Hatred is not eternal, but some people have very deep hatred, very deep, 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 that it can almost look eternal. Because what is pegged to is not anything that you can immediately gain access to. It's very deep and far. You might have to dig very well to find it. Eternal is independent so long as that in is defined as God. Eternity is God-dependent, where God is not your root. Such people are very strange. They are very strange. How can they be beating you and you are still saying you are the king of the Jews? You are a madman. <laughs> You must be mad. Something must not be right with you because this environment that you are in, this environment is supposed to produce terror in you. But you are calm. You must be pegged to something else. When you say a person is mad, it means that they're not pegged to anything that you can immediately identify. That's what you call madness. Period. Anything that cannot, any behavior that you cannot, for example, I'm sitting here. If I start doing like this, right, it doesn't make sense to you. You're like, what's he doing? But if you hear the song I'm listening to, and you now see, oh, and I'm doing boom, 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 boom. Oh, now I'm not mad because now you can recognize what I'm pegged to. But if you can't know what I'm pegged to, and you don't see my dance, and my dance does not correlate to any sound in your atmosphere, then you see this madness. So Jesus Christ, from people's point of view, was mad because his movement wasn't pegged to anything that was happening. You are being killed. You are being betrayed. You are sold by one of your disciples. You should not be doing this. Well, you're right. But I'm not pegged to your environment. I'm pegged to another environment. So therefore, you are reacting to your environment I'm reacting to my environment. The only difference is my environment 
and your environment are not the same. Because we are always reacting to an environment. That eternal identity is when your atmosphere is not God. Someone slapped you, but who you are reacting to is God in you. And that God might tell you that person needs a slap too. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but you get my point, right? God is not always a lamb. It's also a lion. And yeah, there's times where we keep quiet, but there's a time where you must bite till they don't have any head on their shoulders anymore. And we must know the time for that, right? That is eternal life. And I'm explaining eternal life in a way that we can understand it, right? It's a life that is pegged to God, that is pegged to obedience. It's a life that responds to the stimulations of God, not the stimulations of the outside world, not the stimulations of the flesh. It responds to what God is saying, what God is doing. This can never die. Because it was never born. It simply was. You are waking to it. It's, 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 it doesn't die. But all those temporary identities, all those pass away. And they're meant to pass away. And we should make peace with it. It's very important. Even ourselves. We need to learn to mourn the death of even our own selves. And be fine. I spoke to a man once, she was like, ah, I remember those days when I was single. I would just put my bags in my boots and ah, I've gone to Abuja in a flash. But now I have a wife and three children. How can I do it? He has to be able to mourn that and say, well, that has passed. That's, that's, that, that no longer exists anymore. And move on with what is or what has to be right now, better said. But even beyond all those changes, there are still those internal qualities that he has to hold on to. The quality of new beliefs is not true. But in every environment I find myself, no matter what changes, whoever I become, I must not show. Whatever it looks like, whether it's a company, whether it's my spiritual work, whether it's my wife or husband, whether it's my children, I'm a natural. That's an eternal identity. I am a destroyer of evil things. It's an eternal identity, for example. And you destroy it wherever you find yourself and however you can, whether it's through your writings, whether it's through the way you do your business. You're in an environment where you can only survive if you swindle others and you choose to be honest. Yeah, that's very destructive. And you're killing something in that environment. And that's how it expresses itself. You enter into a relationship with someone who is so used to people abusing and mistreating them and you do exactly otherwise. Yeah, you're destroying something in them. Right? And it expresses itself that way. You know? Their temporary identities and their eternal identities. This teaching is much deeper than I'm actually seeing right now. It's far deeper than this. But I just found a way to bring it down to earth by relating it to things like generosity, like love, like 
kindness, like all these things that are immediately close to our understanding in the hopes that it starts to take on some flesh in our hearts. But we have to start to live more from that eternal place. You can't be like Nepal, people of God. You can't be like Nepal or stable in all your ways. It's very painful for the people around you. If you're a thief, be a thief and stay there. Don't be changing all the time. If you love someone, love them. Love them when they cheat on you. Love them when they cheat you. Love them when they lie to you. Love them when they betray you. Now, the love might manifest itself differently. That is, you, de- you deceive me. I won't place myself in a position where I will become a victim of your deception. But I still love you. And I will still wish the best for you. And I'll try to help you. At least in a way that I am not wounded in the process, if I can help it. We have to learn how to be eternal people. Now, do you, are you guys understanding where I'm getting to now? Are you, guys, are you guys understanding? We have to learn how to be eternal people, pegging ourselves to things that are lasting, not things that are temporary, because we change so quickly. We change. We change. Even with God, we change. We have to become eternal people. This is what eternal life means. In a sense, it's still a very big teaching. There are many ways it can be taught. This is just one way. Who is it that dies? Only the things that were temporary. But the eternal things live on. We need to learn to accept the death of things that die or things that would die and learn how to live with the things that will live. And even things that are temporary, learn how to use and enjoy them in their time while they are present. And when they pass away, let them pass. Your youth is a time that will pass. You must use it while it's here. You must mourn it while it's gone. But you cannot peg yourself to your youth because it doesn't stay forever but you can peg yourself to the spirit of help. And in your youth, you help with your strength. In your old age, you help with your wisdom. Does that make sense? Do you understand it? Talk to me, people. Do you understand? Do you all understand? So no matter what changes, there's something eternal in you that still expresses itself through all the temporary things that come and go because you're not living from an eternal place. I'm a kind person. I'm kind when I have strength. I'm kind when I have wisdom. I am a helper. I'm a helper when I have money. I'm a helper when I can connect people to someone that has money. You always help. Whether you help with your money, you help with your time, you help with your knowledge, that archetype, that spirit of help manifests in all different personalities, all different circumstances, all different times, all different ways, eternal. That's the kind of life that we want to have. And I pray that God brings us into the reality of all that is being taught tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 And amen. Amen. And people of God, that brings us to the end of tonight's lecture.
How are we feeling, people? How are we feeling? How are we feeling? How are we feeling? Timida is just excited. Wow. Timida, why are you excited? Please explain it to me. Tell me. I want to, I want to understand the excitement. Feel free to speak. What do you mean by you okay. feel excited? Thank you very much uh, for this, this night. Um, maybe because I'm actually somewhere very cool and I'm just hearing the chipping of the yeah. and everything is just dark. So <laughs> I've just been imagining that I'm in some ancient civilization and, you know, <laughs> getting wisdom. So I'm like, yes. And, you know, Come on. Like, what you're saying, <laughs> what you're saying is, is, is so good. I... I, I just even began to just look through my own parents, my relationship, my, my um, what's the name, siblings, and I was just saying, wow, so you guys will never die. You're just, it's, it's just um, your personalities. And it's so exciting, so encouraging, you know. The, wow, you, no that means you really to, caught it. Wow, come yes. on. It's so encouraging. I don't need to be... You know, like you said, when when it comes, you you mourn it because you know you are just human in that moment. But you give God thanks that well, you know. I I thank God for this moment, and like you said, in another reality, you just enjoy it and you keep you keep evolving. That is eternalness. That is eternity. So I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well done, Kushe. Thank you so much. God, God bless, bless you. you. Bless you. God bless you. Nothing ceases to be, but it ceases to be in the ways that it has been. Maybe we can write that down. Nothing ceases to be, but everything ceases to be in the ways that it has been. You can't stay the same way eternally. Life doesn't work like that. It must take on new forms. You know, and we have to be able to embrace them, enjoy them, begin a new relationship with them, right? Begin a new relationship. Begin a new relationship. You have a dog. You can't relate with it like a man. You will be frustrated and you will be pained because it's not a man. We have to learn how to have relationships with things as they are, not how we want them to be. There's a way you relate with the soil. There's a way you relate with a child. There's a way you relate with an old person. You have to relate with things as they are, not how we want them to be. You can't carry your grandmother and slam her on the ground the way you slam your, your age mate. How does that make any sense? I say, oh, I want you to, why can't you relate? No. It's different, you know? All right, people. So what I'd like, I'd like for three of us to share, to share one thing they took from this class. And you can do that in about a minute and 30 seconds. I'd like to see some hands. One thing that you took from tonight's class. Zamoge, talk to me. <laughs> Good evening, Rabbi. 
Um, so what stood out for me was when you spoke about um, that quality of eternal life and being, for instance, the example you gave about being a giver. So whether you have money or you have, or you don't have money or being a helper, being a nurturer. So you expressing that quality in different ways, in different seasons. Because I found myself in that space where almost <laughs> I feel very bad when I don't have money, you know, and I want to buy gifts for people when I don't have the money. And, you know, God really helped me see that this year. And there were times that he called me to pray. And I was just like, no, I mean, what's the use of my prayer? I mean, it's just prayer. I pray every day. What's the use of my words? If I cannot show how much I love this person, you know, in this manner and just teaching me to be a giver and be a helper in, in more than um, the financial financial means. So it was, yeah, you really stopped it. Thank you. Thank God. Thank God. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, confidence. Very beautiful. I'm very intuitive. Confidence brought out this beautiful scripture in the book of Hebrews that says, whose voice then shook the earth? But now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I shall shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of those things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may be made. Someone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. God shakes you until the things that can shake are shaken away so that the things that can't be shaken away remain. Amen. Amen. And listen to me, people. Do me a favor, right? When I teach these things, if I don't bring out the scriptures and you connect it to a scripture, please bring it out. It's so helpful. You know, it's so helpful. This is what I'm teaching. I'm telling you, they are from the spirit. I'm telling you. I came into this meeting straight from the road. These two points, I wrote them down doing five minutes into the session. I didn't come with a script. Even the scriptures that I was using, it was in the moment it came out. They are purely from the Holy Spirit. Purely. These are what, this is what you call spiritual teaching. While it's great, if it's not properly pegged to something tangible, it's very easy to, for you to be lost or interpreted. And one of the ways you can help me is to peg it to all those, help peg it to all those things. Sometimes I, I might not have read some scriptures that relate to what I'm saying. You want to say, oh, wow, this is a scripture. I'm like, oh, wow, I, didn't read that. I never knew that. Because this is straight from the worlds of the spirit. So this is a way you can also help me, right? By bringing out scriptures and then we can now even in my writing, you also help me when I'm putting together. And that's how we can work together and actually build, you know, proper catalogs on teachings and things like that, you know, with, with useful scriptures and the Holy Spirit to guide you, you know. So thank you for that um, confidence. Thank you. Andrea. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Okay, so my takeaway from this uh, session is when you spoke about our internal personality. What came to my mind, something somehow different, but it's not similar. 
there is a way that you can mix two things together and they won't be missable. And then what came to my mind was the fact that I was sticking up a personality that wasn't mine and it couldn't mix with my own internal um, personality. So it's brought about some form of turbulence and actually disrupted me. So that's actually my big takeaway from this session among all that stuff is the fact that we should also be watchful, watchful of personalities we put on because there's a probability that this particular personality won't be mixable with our own eternal personality. Yes, beautiful. And let me even help you with that too. Again, you said something that came from spirit and I can help you by pegging it to flesh to even help you understand it even more. You could have developed a personality that defends your, that helps to defend you when people are, when you don't feel safe. And maybe that personality is to be rude, right? Once you feel someone is trying to, you know, mess with you, your mouth gets very sharp. That personality will contradict the personality of the, the, the well, let me say the personality of God. I won't call it personality, but like the identity of God in you that I want to do otherwise. And the moment that your heavenly consciousness is saying, hey, Andrea, apologize to this person. That personality you have formed will begin to fight. And that's when a shaking happens because now you see that this stuff is not an eternal quality. It can't stay. It's not contradicting with that heavenly identity within you. It's clashing with your earthly identity. What we want is the personality we make upon the earth to become extensions of our personalities in heaven. That's what we want to do. But when that's not the case, that's when we find that deep contradiction. And when God tells us to do something, ah, we fight because like, ah, this instruction I given to me goes against everything that I've formed myself into, you know? So yeah, that's just to put more flesh to what you're saying. Um, Andrea, very, very intuitive thing you just said. Very, very intuitive. Well done. Confidence. You have a minute and a half. <laughs> there was something you said. Every time I think about it, I keep laughing. You said, so who is it that dies? It is not you, except you think that you are you, you will die. <laughs> <laughs> Confidence, this is your document. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It has been replaced. In my head, since you said it, I was I just saying it again, I just start laughing. And then you know, said to me, Die, you will die. I was like, Oh my god, <laughs> I was like, If David's mother was there and she heard this, God forbid, it's not my son that will die, it's you that will die. <laughs> but I really I really, really, really love it uh, because it's things like this that make us remember the teachings. It's like when you, when we, when you said it in that class, Christ are born in hell. Oh my Jesus, my mother hears this one now. <laughs> as you said this now, I'm sure we will be confused now. You have to do, uh, as you just said, Christ are born in hell. Use 20 seconds to explain that statement. Don't put me in trouble. Go and listen to the session. You will know what happened. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's 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 it's it's ringing in my head. But outside of the the laughs, it is not the me that I have built these personalities around that will die. And you know, it, it, it's so reassuring 
it's very, very reassuring, gives me hope. It gives me, um, you know, that, that assurance that God knows what he's doing, right? Funny enough, I, I think I've mentioned, told you this in counselors time, before every session, somehow God starts to kind of point me towards the direction that you're going to teach. And I don't know what, how it happened, but it has been consistent for almost two years now. Every single time before a class, I start, and I was thinking about it this afternoon, about personas, right? And funny enough, it was about Esther. I was thinking about Esther, I was like, oh my God, how much of who Esther is, is, you know, just the characters and, and experiences and the biases she has built over the last couple of years. And how, how much of her is really her. I don't know why I was thinking about it, but I was thinking about it. And now you said to talk about it. And even what, 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 that ideology, what it does for me every single day is when I do some kind of thing, I ask myself, is this really you? Or is this the you you think you are? Is this really you? Or is this the you that what happened yesterday made you become? Is this really you? Or is this the lies that you have believed manifesting itself? And when I'm able to ask those questions and by the help of the Holy Spirit, I get the answer. I know what I should focus on and what I should just mourn and leave behind, just like you said. So thank you very much. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. God bless all of you. God bless all of you. God bless all of you. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It is well. It is well. Father, we thank you for this time of teaching. We thank you for this time of impartation. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that every single thing that has been said, oh God, rests greatly upon every single one of us, that these words will not just remain mere words in our lives, but they will become flesh. They will put on physical and tangible manifestation that the very works of our hands and our actions will be a revelation of these things that are taught in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let there be light. Let there be light in Jesus' name. Amen.